Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we are going to talk about Win Win, a movie we've all seen. Uh, there will be spoilers shortly, but before we get to that, let me introduce the folks who are here with me. Uh, Christian Mirzansky, do you know why I played that song? Uh, because I do a kick-ass version of it in Rock Band 2. That's reason one. Reason number two is the word wrestle occurs early oh, on. Oh, good point. Because you love me. Oh, words. Yeah. And, and it's that, not Menthe uh, or whatever you said. You call me JBJ. All right. Your connection is terrible, by the way. We had we were running tests, and you sounded great. And now you sound awful, Christian JBJ. Oh, great. Should we start over? No, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh First of all, Kelly Wand, uh, get the phone. Let us know who's calling in and where they're calling uh, from before you send your question. You know, I tell people I'm doing this thing. Is that just me no, calling cool. me? No, we'll Should I, if I not say... Hang on. <laughs> that's, that's Kelly Wand receiving this week's tagline. Oh. It's just some guy wanting to play LOL. Um, not a girl <laughs> wanting to play LOL. Uh, it's uh, a nice catchphrase. Yeah, for for win win, what is the what is the tagline? My farts tonight are man strength. That's okay. it. Okay, that's that's. Yeah, C minus Kelly. I've uh, expected more. <laughs> hey Tom, do you have recording tape covering your face right now? I I just detect something odd sounding about you. Is that? I have all kinds of advanced technology going on to run this podcast, as you guys can see. We're all here in the studio, and yeah, this is yeah. a certain kind of advanced tape. That that amplifies my sound. Uh, we've That's got pretty tech. advanced tech for us. It's more advanced than the usual tech we use. It, it is. We're we're regular MacGrubers when it comes to. Ah, uh, MacGruber. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christian Mids or JBJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Win Win is before we get into spoiler territory? Give us a little spoiler-free breakdown of what this movie is. Well, all right then. Um, this week we saw Win Win. A 2011 sports comedy drama movie <laughs> directed and written by Thomas McCarthy. The film stars Amy Ryan, Alex Schaefer, Bobby Cannavale, and Paul Giamatti, and is about a small-town lawyer who also coaches a high school wrestling team. The film is rated R for language, even uh-huh. though they say freaking a lot instead of that other word. Man, Dingus, you made it sound terrible. I mean, other than Thomas McCarthy and Amy Ryan... That, give me that. What was that plotline synopsis again? Give me that. Did you want me to make some snarky comment about Blindside? Because what I said was the film is about a small town lawyer who also coaches a high school wrestling team. Oh God, I just would have no desire to see that. All right, so but hold that thought. We'll get we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> a small town lawyer. Can you imagine the pitch for that? Oh, 
Sounds like a team. Oh, it's a small town lawyer. Well, those <laughs> are my favorite kind. You see? That's John. It's not like some John Grisham bullshit. It's more right. uh, Harrison Keillor meets. It's not like that Lincoln lawyer thing with Matt McConaughey that just opened. Like, that's yeah. probably about a big ta- town lawyer. Uh huh. You know see, what? A that small is. town lawyer is, a, is also sort of disheartened. He's sad. Like Andy Griffith. Oh, wait, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He was a sheriff, wasn't he? Yeah, Andy Griffith, small town lawyer. <laughs> Wait, no, he played a lawyer in some TV show after. Wasn't there? Uh, I forget. That's TV. Ironsides. It was Ironsides. <laughs> and he was in a wheelchair. I'm going to save that for the TV podcast. For now, though, let's get into some spoiler territory. Kelly Wand, uh, I have not seen Win Win in a few weeks. I went to a screening a few weeks ago. I didn't know we were going to be talking about it on the podcast, so I didn't take copious notes like I normally do. Can you fill screening? <laughs> Can you fill me in on what happens in this movie? That's sort of a more uh, a more spoiler specific blow by blow. Oh, that's what we do. We spoil movies. We're going to now. Of, you mean if I having some stoned idiot read a bunch of gibberish? That's our. If you were to do that, Kelly Wand, or if one were to do that, what would you call it this week? A win-win-opsis. <laughs> Not a win-opsis. Which I like. Okay. No, no. Oh, win-op-win-opsis. Win-win-opsis. I feel like I've derailed you. Uh, what, what, what do you... From what? Oh, go ahead. From what? Get it? Because I'm quoting the movie. Remember when the little girl goes, from what? And you're derailing me? From what? Get it? Uh, get it. <laughs> Where's daddy? When I came into the movie, or as I was walking towards the theater, people were emerging, and I heard a dude say to, uh, like, the other two people he was with, yeah, he was almost as good as Matthew McConaughey was back in his day. What? All right. I know. What's he talking about? What was the Matthew McConaughey era? Was he talking about the audience was talking about Facebook? (laughs) Oh. Um, You guys guys should go to screenings instead of these, these... Oh, yeah, screening through the unwashed masses. Talking mm-hmm. about Facebook and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> nobody, nobody in my screening mentioned Matthew McConaughey or Facebook, I'm happy to say. So. Uh, did you guys see a preview for The Beaver? They don't show previews in screenings. What do you think of that? <laughs> I There was a preview for The Beaver in my film, but I did not watch The Beaver. Technically, the screening is a preview because the movie's not yet. So, ha ha, you lose. Right. I win. Win-win-opsis. All right, well, Mr. Winner, give us a win-win-opsis of win-win. Uh, all right. This one's uh, not that great. What? Really? I, mean, I expect great uh, things. Uh, well, okay. Some of these are, it's hard to do. Well, you'll see. All right. You be the judge. I'll just do it and put it this way. I didn't get paid to do this, so fuck you. <laughs> I mean, please enjoy this fine thing I wrote for you. Um, okay, yeah, anyway, uh, so the sideways Harvey P. card dude named Paul Giamatti makes a poor living as a lawyer helping old people sue their kids for kidnapping his cat. And we know he's an honest, good man because the boiler below his office could explode any day and destroy the legal documents of thousands of clients and kill his hot receptionist. And because a tree's about to fall into his kid's bedroom. But he doesn't mind any of that because he's honest. He doesn't hire professionals to fix his toilet or reinstall his antivirus because he's honest. So he makes his uh, twin brother Jeffrey Tambor do it. And he, uh... Are you taking the tape off your face? What is that? That's dingus. (laughs) What? Kelly Wand, you, you need to perfect the art of not being distracted. You were you were on a roll. Run with it. It was awesome. 
<laughs> All right, so Jafal Jamadi goes jogging with his buddy and laments that he has no dough, and but they know a guy who has dough because it's all he thinks about, um, and that's how he makes his dough. They conclude, even though Paul Jamadi doesn't have any dough, even though it's also all he thinks about. And uh, Polly Balboa is his senile client who's rich from losing all of Rocky's money in Rocky Five. Uh, so Paul Jamadi offers to be his legal guardian for fifteen hundred dollars a month. Uh, which I guess just involves announcing it in court. Because <laughs> he's a lawyer, it's okay. You don't have to sign anything. Uh, and his duties include dropping Polly Balboa off at the old people's mental asylum and cashing the checks, which is a lot of work because he has to endorse it and put it in the ATM and punch his PIN number. Uh, mine's 8675 from that song. <laughs> it's yours. Anyway... And there's this kid on Polly's porch who says he's Polly's grandkid, Kylie Bax. So he lets the kid move in with him because his mom's in rehab and his wife likes surprises. And Paul Giamatti also coaches high school wrestling because lawyers don't make any money. It's a, it's a small town. He's a small town lawyer because he loves people and there's way less of them to help in a small town. So he doesn't love them that much. But anyway, he doesn't bartend because that's not as prestigious <laughs> as high school wrestling coaching. And because he's honest and a great coach, uh, even though they lose every year before they even get on the mat, before the bus even stops at the place they've already lost. Um, but by sheer chance, Kylie turns out to be – oh, yeah, and they're, so they're following a car to the um, place where the wrestling meet's at, and the license plate on the car ahead of them says, if you can read this, you've already lost. You've been pinned. <laughs> I just improvised that. Pretty impressive. <laughs> okay, so by sheer chance, Kylie turns out to be the best wrestler ever, even though Paul Giamatti somehow never heard of him. Uh, and the kid's on YouTube. And uh, the kid teaches Paul Giamatti how to punch him in the face like he's asleep. Kind of like what the director of uh, Battle LA tried to do to my face last week, <laughs> but without success. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, Paul Giamatti's family likes Kylie Bax, and the jogging friend likes young boys, so he hangs out with them in the basement, admires Kylie's tattoos, and Paul Giamatti's life is perfect because the kid helps him crash the tree into the house, and he lives in the office basement, so if he passes out, they know the boiler's broken, like a canary. And uh, his wife shows the kid her ankle tattoo, and she makes out with him. And Kylie teaches the retarded kid on the wrestling team how to lose slower by picturing himself as Darth Vader's secret apprentice, even though Vader didn't have an apprentice. He was the apprentice. And also, if you're your opponent's apprentice, that makes him your master, so you're fucked. Uh, but anyway, everything's going swimmingly till the kid's mom shows up and tries to ruin everything by wanting the kid back and her dad dead and back in his will and exposing Paul Giamatti's guardian scheme which would have worked fine if he'd just shown up at Polly's house like occasionally and molested him like real guardians do to old people. And the mom shows Kylie... Oh, too soon. The mom shows Kylie a uh, court transcript of Paul Giamatti saying, really, to a judge. So the kid busts Polly out of the madhouse to get back at Paul Giamatti saying, really? And he makes Pischetti for him. But Paul Giamatti shows up and goes, look, what if I give you 10 cents a week allowance for moving my garbage cans every time I come home and smash into them on the driveway because you're playing fucking croquet? And the kid's all, uh, and Paul Giamatti goes, what if I throw in a little nookie with Amy Ryan every now and then? And the kid's all, sweet, bro. Totally feeling the orange is my color. 
So Paul Giamatti gives away all the money to his bitch mom because Amy Ryan's mad that they're poor and that he's only working two jobs and she's exhausted just from working none. So he goes to bartending evenings, so he never gets to see his family ever. But his friend comes to see him and drink for free and talk about his failed marriage every night for six hours every night, seven nights a week. And then after his bartending gig, he crosses the street and he starts as a DJ at the strip club. And then he has a four-hour shift at Jack in the Box. And then he has two hours to commute the three hours back home and sleep before he has to get up to do anesthesiology. And Jeffrey Tambor gets anal LASIK surgery. It's a win-win. Compared to the uh, Black Plague. Racist, the end. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Kelly Wand. Uh, well, I did my best. You did so a much sequel. You can... Thank you. Thank you for giving Let's us see. a sequel. Win-win! Uh, now, Kelly Wand, you were the least enthused to see this movie, I presume because you've never seen The Station Agent or The Visitor. Am I correct? I don't see movies about midgets that exploit trains. <laughs> and you hadn't seen The Visitor. Have you seen Up? Yeah, that's good. Okay. But also, it was because Limitless was out this weekend, and I really wanted to see a movie about a writer who takes magic pills to boot up his brain and writes really good. Because <laughs> I we're not, relate to that character, and I want. We're, we're not stopping you from seeing Limitless. We know you yes. have a. We know that that you're a big Bradley Cooper fan, and you try to see all of his releases on opening weekend. So. You, I, I hope you you were able to squeeze that in this weekend as well. As opposed to a movie about little kids and young boys in tights that you wanted me to see, which I saw. <laughs> and they wear the required uniform. Yeah, this was not exploitative. Uh, what did you think of this movie, Kelly Wand? I thought it was the hardest R rating I've ever seen. <laughs> totally get now why we have an MPAA. Because this movie, I can't believe they dodged it in C-17. Because the language in this movie almost made me literally vomit it was so, i am so because if you're 13 years old you can go see battle louisiana but not this movie and i just want to say hooray for rating systems and america and parents thank you uh dingus why was this rated r what were the uh what were the mpaa descriptors uh, too much too birds too much screen right what what kelly just said what, what, what was it intense language i didn't hear what you said it was because it made Kelly hard. <laughs> no, I mean, very, it was, it was uh, all language because there was too much fucking in it. Even you know they 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 do a judicious uh, freaking ratio to fucking and fuck, but you can only have a certain number of times the word fuck is actually used. And that seems so, scientific. Yeah, it's very scientific, um, and so the word f- uh, fuck was used too many times. I think uh, the only thing it says is that it's it's related to language. So there's nothing about like teen smoking or was, was there was there did they did they smoke the pot in this movie because they smoke the pot in uh-huh. Station Agent. I'm wondering if they smoke the pot in uh, Win Win. Do they ever? No, they only smoke the the tobacco. And of course, the the film's first line is a, a child saying a curse word. And uh, but is the kid smoking too though? Isn't it? Uh, there is a minor smoking in it. So uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go on on record as. As, as the, the podcast's fuddy-duddy, as supporting Jesus. this having an R rating, I'm okay with that. No, he quits smoking. He teaches kids that he need, you can't smoke and wrestle. That's fine. So, But I, I leave it to a parent's discretion. I mean, I think parent, parents should know that there's stuff like this. But I'm, I'm surprised that didn't make the descriptor, which is why I was asking Dingus. So fair enough, though. They, they just wanted to highlight the language. Uh, okay. So in your opinion, a 13-year-old movie, this would be totally inappropriate for? Nope. So in my opinion, a parent position. should make that call. 
And the MPAA should point that out, that it's part of the movie. They apparently just highlighted the language. But I'm, I'm happy with, I'm okay with this being rated R. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I am a little taken aback that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, King's Speech is rated R. That one seems a little weird to me. But he smokes that where this this kid goes through you, you know starts off smoking and uh I, i'm okay with this being rated r i mean it's easy for me to say i'm over 17 i can get into any movie i want so what do i care right but i think all movies should basically be pg in that parental guidance should be for every single movie that your right. kid goes to see it yeah. should be your guidance and right. you Thank should you should make a a determination as a parent well i don't want my kid to see a child smoking or i don't want to hear the word fuck so that's that that this should be PG. I mean, I don't see how this is an R. Well, kids can go. I mean, I'm sure you know this, Dingus. Kids can go to this movie. They just need a parent to accompany them. It right, needs to be right. basically vetted more carefully by parents than a no. one that's actually listed as parental guidance. No, no. They can go in with a random 17-year-old, not even a parent. A uh, parent or guardian, I'm pretty sure. I've taken my little brother to... Actually, no, I haven't. Uh, I'm pretty sure it... it don't they... I don't, actually, you know what? I don't know how it works. Dingus, can you... And I know actually, no, you're right, Tom. And if you actually... If you take a kid to this movie, you get $1,500 a month for doing so. Right, right. Oh, I was going to do that. You stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> you interrupted me. All right, me. we'll do it. Since Kelly <laughs> isn't being earnest, Dingus, it's your time to weigh, weigh in. Where does... As, as, as another huge Tom McCarthy fan, Dingus, what did you think of... Of this movie, what was it too? I'm going to throw out a word. Was it too Sundancey for you? <laughs> Could you say that again? Sundancey. <laughs> Very nice. Because come on, you guys know what that means. Like Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, very. Oh, Tom. What? Tom. What? Too soon. How dare you yeah. bring that? Oh. <laughs> but you is know that, what? I'm getting is at? that a preview for what you're going to say about this movie? Now, you, know, I, you know what I'm getting at when I say something is sun dancing, right? Did, did, yeah. And and it applies to this, and not necessarily. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. We've seen plenty of great movies at Sundance, but uh, there's a certain Sundance quality that some movies have more than others. Uh, I think we would all agree this was present in Win Win. Um, but you did, mean awesome acting and no budget? That's Sundance. That that more no, writing. it's more Kelly Wand. I would say a matter of of tone. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sundance has plenty of dark stuff that they'll show, but but there's also you can see the stuff that gets sort of put through the institute and workshopped, and and it get, it gets a bit there's a there's a sense of it being almost like a not a studio because that's not the process. But there's a there's a different a definite tone that comes out of movies that come through that Sundance process for the most part. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine then is overly Sundancey, and yeah. it looked like a focus group of Sundance people made it. Well, this movie. Gonna- I think that's kind of how Sundance works, is they have workshops, and they work on scripts, and they, they, they put together scenes. Uh, over the years, that's evolved. Like, like uh, uh, Hard Eight, I, I think, was something that Paul Thomas Anderson brought through the Sundance, and that doesn't have that traditional sundance vibe. Uh, but these days, it does seem to be a little more codified, uh, and I think Little Miss Sunshine is a, a prime example. Yeah, it felt like a brand, Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, like Dan in Real Life, Pieces of April, right. uh, Sunshine Cleaners, like that kind of thing. Uh, so so let, let's get to Dingus. Dingus, how well did this movie work for you? Uh, it worked It worked very well. It's it's not, uh, you know, you I, I had forgotten that it was a Sundance film, actually, until you said that. Um, and although now I, I see what you're saying about that, I think the ultimate film for me that's, to Sundancey is one of the first films I saw at Sundance, which would be Care of the Sunset Grill, um, which is a Marsha Gay Harden film that's cloyingly 
Sunsetty or, or Sun um, Sundancey Sundance Sundancey I can barely even say it. Uh, I like like Edward Smith. This is that movie at, at the beginning of the year that I wait for that uh, that I've talked about with you many times before that that makes me open my 2011 films document. That makes me start to say, okay, what what films am I going to – I finally saw a movie that could be in the discussion. I don't know if it will be there at the end of the year for the best films of the year, but at least there's a film that has inspired me to start the document. You, you didn't um, open that document after we saw Drive Angry? Uh, no, I, I consider <laughs> that a 2011 film <laughs> because it's 3D. <laughs> right. So it worked. It worked very well for me. It, it was not too Sundancey. Okay, uh, I I I roll out the word Sundancey because because of that quality, it, it doesn't have. It, it feels to me like minor McCarthy, <laughs> to, to sort of uh, bring a phrase from Squid and the Whale, uh, where Jeff. Daniels talks about minor Dickens. Like I love Tom McCarthy. I love what he apparently provided for Up. Both Station Agent and The Visitor were amongst the best movies I had seen in their respective years. Uh, I liked this a lot, but it didn't seem. It, it seemed like a much more comfortable at times pat movie. And while I liked it a lot, I really enjoyed this. I had a fantastic time, and oh my god, I'm so so head over heels with Amy Ryan. That woman is just so amazing to me. Uh, and her ankle was so incredibly hot. That, that too, by the way, it should be rated R for the eroticism of her showing her ankle. <laughs> that I had to leave the theater for a while and That's, go to my bunk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I absolutely had no <laughs> doubt you were going to use the word minor Tom McCarthy in this. Okay, so you can see what I'm getting at. is While I liked it a lot, I, I can't deny that I'm sitting there waiting for it to become another station agent or visitor, and it didn't, and it doesn't really have to, and that's fine. But by the time it was over, I had enjoyed it, but it never became a station agent or a visitor for me. Um, now, is that um, – let me ask you what you think um, makes it so. Mm-hmm. Is, is, there, is there a single element, script, actor, yes. otherwise, yes. that – that makes it so. Go ahead. For for me, it was the uh, million dollar baby approach to the the third act dramatic tension. Let's introduce a family member and make that family member like mercenary and unsympathetic. Now it wasn't as bad as Million Dollar Baby, but uh, I I really thought that they gave short shrift to the mother. And in a movie like this, it was kind of disappointing. I mean, she wasn't a mustache twirling villain, but I. I, I just felt like it was a little yeah. too neat, a little too pat, and that kind of bothered me. Too easy. A little, yeah, yeah. Because all the other characters are super pleasant, and then they're super. I was kind of liking that. Yeah. <laughs> I was sort of liking that vibe. Like the movie was kind of a mood enhancer. Um, and we bring her in to sort of introduce a little tension. That's okay, but then, and, and the poor actress all, is doing. The, 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 I thought the actress was doing a fantastic job considering what she was given. Um, but they kind of had to make it where when, you know, she melts away and it becomes like a money issue. And that, that just rang a little false for a movie that had otherwise been such a sort of an honest, open, it just felt so genuine as far as telling this cross-generational story about these un, these unrelated people. And that's what Thomas McCarthy has done so well in Station Agent and The Visitor, is he takes these people who don't normally have anything to do with each other, 
and he connects them and, and these powerful connections form and the characters feel so genuine and the connections feel so authentic. But then when the mother arrives and she's looking for money and that the woman who the character actress who I, I, I like as a character actress, when she shows up playing the sort of the, the female lawyer and like all of that just felt a little disingenuous to me. And it, it hurt the movie a little bit for me. Hmm. Yeah, because she's like a movie prop. And everyone else in the movie up to that point's playing what felt to me like really human. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like I hate to ding originals. that poor. I hate to ding that poor character actress, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something that Dingus has brought up that I think makes me understand a little better. In No Country for Old Men, Dingus hates poor Beth Grant, who shows up at the end of that movie. And Dingus, I think you've said she feels like she's in from another movie. So I felt that way about. And it's not, no, the the woman who plays the lawyer. What is that woman's name? Who? What, what? The woman who plays the mother's lawyer. She's like a big woman. She plays like receptionists and stuff, and she's from TV. Do you guys know? Who oh, oh! I thought you meant in from No Country, and I was like, "Who's the lawyer?" Oh, no, no. So, I absolutely know who you're talking about because she she reminds me of a friend of mine, an actual uh, actually a guy. Um, but uh, but I see her in a lot of stuff. I like her, but she feels like she came in from like. Um, an Ally McBeal kind of yeah exactly so is she the one that Arnold Schwarzenegger di- was disguising himself as Total Recall no no, no okay never mind she's not two weeks and when he says get ready for a surprise and then blows up because she's programmed for her head to blow up after <laughs> she says that uh, but do you, do you see what I'm getting at Dingus like I don't I'm not trying to so those were some of the things that hurt the movie f- for me and I say hurt I shouldn't say hurt uh, those are some of the things that made me not enjoy the movie as much as I enjoyed the visitor and the station agent right I, c- I can see what you're saying because um, because I'm, I'm but I'm a little resistant to it because I liked some of the developments that happened with the mom first of all I really like that actress a lot who is she, by the Melanie way? Linsky. Melanie Linsky. She's What's from um, that Peter Jackson movie about the two girls. She's from Heavenly, Heavenly Creatures. Creatures. That's Heavenly right. I remember looking that up. She was the non-Kate right. Kate Winslet chick. Winslet, That's right. right. She's the other right. Right. She's come a long way, baby. I mean, and I mean, she's done she's done a lot of other stuff, but uh, yeah, but yeah. That's definitely what the main thing she's from, and I really like what she's doing. I, I also really respect that. That moment in the in the motel room where she says, you know, we deserve this money to to Kyle instead of it's about family. I mean, there's none of that BS. I mean, that's who she is and that's where he came from. And and I, I get sort of this sort of generational thing that's going on that that maybe Lou wasn't that great a guy that he did these awful things to her, too. And, and he changed as he went through life and she's had to deal with that. And and now Kyle has to deal with the kind of mother she was. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand what you're talking about. I understand how, you know, it's it's sort of the difference between, um, I forget the name of the character. I think it was David who was uh, the husband in um, Station Agent. Oh, right, right. Was yeah. just sort of this this other character. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he's just like this 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 thing she has to deal with that's sort of her, not a, not obstacle, but it's it's a difficulty. But he doesn't really become this this uh, um, million dollar baby sort of character in the movie. Right. So I, I understand what you're saying. That's a very good comparison, Dingus. That's a very good comparison. The, the way David adds this third act tension to station agent versus the way the mother does. Uh, so yeah, good call. Um, but I do like this movie, and I, I feel like we're being a little nitpicky about it. Like, cause that, that's just me. That's you. It. Yeah, that's just me well, being nitpicky. I think nitpicky. you're right. Okay. I think you're right. Um, and I haven't seen the station agent, so I guess I'm kind of an ignoramus. But I, I agree with you that she does... The mom does kind of feel like 
I know because everything in the movie up to then is kind of like transcendentally awesome. Like it's really it, it it played really well. Like every line was getting a huge laugh from the audience I saw it with. Like everyone loved every one of those characters. It was like the movie was killing. I thought, mm-hmm. and then the mom comes in. And it's kind of like everyone's a little sad because now you realize, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie about. <laughs> and it's like it has been a win-win for him. Like he's actually doing a lot of good because of that extra money. Like he, the only one he fucks is over is Leo. That's actually a good point. You know, you're you're right. Like I, I I was relating it a little bit to the moment, like like Paul Giamatti. I like when he plays like decent guys who are just in a bad position and do and make bad choices. And and I think of him stealing the money from his mother in Sideways. And and what a pathetic moment that is. But he hates himself for it, and that comes across in his face. Like exactly, not- exactly, Kelly Wan. And, and there's a little bit of that here, but you're right that what he does with the money is actually a very good thing. That's a good point. That's a very good yeah. point. Yeah. And he, um, my only ding against the movie besides what you said, which I, I, you sort of crystallized that for me better than I realized while I was watching it, is like at the beginning of the movie when the little when Abby curls up beside Amy Ryan, she goes, "Where's Dad?" and she goes, "Your Dad's running." And she goes, "From what?" <laughs> I thought that was too obvious and spelled out for my taste. Like, oh, I'm watching one of these Sundance movies. Like that it, was the that's exactly. I was gonna I was gonna bring up the word Sundancey. That was Sage a sun- child knows yep. Sundancey yeah. gag right there. Yes, exactly. And it's. <laughs> Yeah, and there's like an awesome thing right before that where she goes, everything okay? And he looks at her like, yeah, everything's fine. You know what? You're right. Yeah, we did like that gag was seemed like it was there for the trailer. And I don't want to begrudge it that because, yeah, you're right. Let's not pick it too much. But I remember that gag, Kelly Wand, and I could see it coming and it and it's in the trailer. I mean, it's totally right. like let's trailer. Let's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, OK, but well, let's be nice to this movie. Uh, right, right. Cause I want people to see it. I really yes, do. I, want, I, I do, do, too. do right by it. So, Dingus, at what at what point did it really win you over? Did you think, okay, I need to go home and make my movies of 2011 word doc to start tracking things? I don't. I think when he threw the cigarette pack away, maybe. <laughs> like Anton Chigurh and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. That, by the way, wasn't a cigarette pack in No Country for Old Men, Kelly Wan. I think those were corn nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh smoking corn nuts. Well, that makes sense. Because it's, it's also fuel because of the ethanol, so it powers the gun, I guess. No, you know, actually, it's it's the moment before. I really liked that, that whole uh, dynamic that developed in the courtroom um, that I didn't really see coming, but I should have probably because we're in a small town. But, you know, we've got that sort of sterile courtroom thing that that's happening. And then the, the guys go up and the judge is very much like, what's going on, Mike? And they have this, uh, well, stop stop saying really, Stu. I know that's all very pat, <laughs> but I really liked this sort of, okay, we've been here so many times before. We've got yeah. this small town thing going on. Uh, and these are the types of things the movie's going to set up for you. And then he throws the cigarette pack away and smokes the one cigarette, and then that's a callback. But the, the very first time it happened, when I saw him doing that, I was like, did he just throw, did he just, what? Did, what, did, what? <laughs> and, then, and then you see how his wife feels about it. And then that I guess the real hook for me, though, you know, I got to tell you, um, when I asked you earlier, Tom, what the hurdle for you was or the mm-hmm. obstacle was for you, the, the major obstacle for me is Paul Giamatti. Uh, I love the guy, I really do, but I, I don't know. I'm getting tired of some of this. Um, so for me, the heart and soul of the movie is Amy Ryan, and luckily, it, you know, when when when. Um, you know, I'm not saying Paul Giamatti does a bad job. He's great in this movie. It's just that I kind of wish somebody else had done it. 
but but when he when he says the line to um, Kyle, uh, I guess uh, Kyle Kyle has said something about you know um, not he doesn't want to talk about it or something like that, and I I, I forget what what Paul Giamatti's line to him is. It's something like, okay, you'll see. Yeah, you know, good luck with that. And then the very next scene is Amy Ryan sitting forward and, and making yeah. Kyle talk. Yeah. And I loved the way she dealt with him. I loved her toughness, her I'm going to I'm going to beat the shit out of her. I'm going to go to Ohio and kill her. <laughs> and then her just tenderness, her I love you thing. Um so just her. I mean, she when when we have that those moments of her being that tough mom and in, even in the beginning, that real, real family mom or family parent moment where where Abby, or I think that's the daughter's name, says, I don't like this. And she says, yes, you do, eat. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says something like, he's drinking something, he goes, hey, this is good. She goes, they're all the same brand. You remember that line? <laughs> well, it's kind of, it, it, it actually says a lot about Paul Giamatti's character in a way, that there's this awesome female character played by a fantastic actress uh, and it's like, Love well, any, any dude who's going to get her, you know, the fact that she loves this dude, that says a lot about him. Yeah, <laughs> right. and her, and her. Uh, well, it's kind of like, yeah, like, I, I'm with you, Dingus, in that I'm a little tired of some of Paul Giamatti's shtick, and in a lot of performances, he seems like he's coasting, and there were times I got a sense of that here. Um, but the fact that Amy Ryan, you're right, that, I mean, she's his his other half. I mean, she is the person with whom this character is getting through life, and that says a lot about this character. Uh, so that connection, and later how they triangulate Kyle in there, just just works wonders for for this movie and for yet another kind of Paul Giamatti Giamatti esque performance. Yeah, uh, I'm not sick of him at all. I like I even like John Adams. You haters. Well, I was gonna say you, you can get over that if you see John Adams. How about that lady in the water? Did you see that Kelly one? That'll get no, you over Paul Giamatti because I was over him. Night Shyamalan. Will I, right. Will that get me over him? That and uh, The Illusionist, that'll also help you get over Paul Giamatti. No, I like The Illusionist. I like it. Not the You're cartoon, crazy. the one with Edward Norton where Paul Giamatti is oh, the, the, doing an accent or whatever he's doing. Uh, he's well, fine. I kind of felt like I, I wish there was somebody new here until, until I met Kyle. And then I realized, well, this movie really can't can't hold the weight of two new people yes. at this level. Very good. And I'm willing to trade off because I love that kid so much. Yeah. I don't know who he is. I, like I don't know where he came from. This, this movie. But he did such a good job that I'm willing to trade off. Again, I, I really like Paul Giamatti. I just I, – I, I mean, Richard Jenkins is – it's so great to discover Richard Jenkins in The Visitor. And it's so great to discover Peter Dinklage in The Station Agent. Uh, and I was expecting sort of that discovery here, but then you get it with Kyle, and then I kind of became okay with it. So let's talk about Kyle. Is he, uh, Dings, you already said you, you loved him. I, I thought a little bit of James Freshville from uh, Animal Kingdom yeah. as far as this mm. really s- sullen, subdued, muted performance. Yeah, right. not, mm. not an outbursty teen, just like a teen who kind of swallows himself, who uh, is not flashy. You know, this isn't something that someone from High School Musical would play. Right. Uh, so and I'm I, not an actor, you guys are, but I, can, I would suspect that kind of thing is very hard to play correctly. Am I wrong? It just uh, seems like you're an actor that's that seems like you got to rein yourself in. You got a John Cazale kind of. I mean, it, it seems like I yeah I I wouldn't know how hard it is for that kid. I mean, it's hard for for some actors. I mean, that kid it just seemed to come naturally to him. 
Uh, I, I don't know if that kid would have any range, but what he can do is fascinating and it really reads. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't begin to know how hard it was for him, but I, I thought he was fantastic uh, mm-hmm. as well. I really like this character. Is, yeah, I did too. What's weird is to look at the publicity photos and just see how what what a bright and uh, charismatic looking kid he is. Yeah, and he's then and then to look at just him in this, he ah, I just I thought he was just riveting. Yeah, and and you're right, Tom. You're absolutely right about the Animal Kingdom reference because that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, the tightly uh, wound, uh, reined in dude. But he had such a—he was just such a sweet spirit, and which is what yeah. that that receptionist said. He's a sweet kid. What's up with the hair? Um, <laughs> that I really liked about him, and and there was still a little bit of this. It, there was this explosiveness about him too, not just in the wrestling, but just about who he was. I mean, Amy Ryan has this. Uh, Jackie has this great the, this protectiveness about you know I, we've got kids in the house, Mike. I'm I'm not gonna. And this is a little bit of a, a, a ridiculous line. I'm not going to take chances with Eminem down there, but um, <laughs> but I got I got a little freaked out as as a parent every time they said, "Well, Abby's just down in the basement with him." Well, <laughs> I, I understand that he seems trustworthy, but he's a kid from a broken home who's been clearly beaten up, and you let your six year old daughter just hang out with him in the basement. But it works out, and there's 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 a beautiful relationship there. Clearly, she puts drawings on the wall for him, and all these things happen. But as a parent, it did sort of seem a little weird because he did have a, a, a scary edge to him, even though he had this this very uh, non reactive uh, demeanor about him in normal life. And I think that's the distinction between James Freshfield's performance in Animal Kingdom and and okay. So what's the actor's name? I meant to look this up. What's the actor's Alex name? Alex Schaefer. And Alex Schaefer in Win Win is he does have this edge. I mean that that takes a while to emerge. And actually, I'm not sure that James Freshville ever gets an edge in Animal Kingdom. But but there is this explosive sense and and just the whole the whole bit with the wrestling. You know that physically this kid could mm-hmm. kick someone's ass. Uh, that definitely gives it a little bit of tension. And, and yeah, but he the, chooses the, not to. He's always super nice and kind and polite and like yeah talks to his friends and like he's super sweet. And I actually could see them leaving him in the basement with the daughter. Because he never ever exhibits like a violent tendency until the third act when mom shows up and he gets mad. Right, right. He's always refusing money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So you know he's not like – because he looks so mistrustful at first. And I, I loved Amy Ryan's Eminem line because that's what I'm thinking is he looks like some like wannabe rapper kid. I wouldn't trust this guy as far as I could throw him. Uh <laughs> But you know he he wins you over. I mean that that's what part of what's great about the performance and the, the yeah. script is is how how well it comes through. That this is a great kid. You know this is an awesome kid who's just having a tough time, and is obviously having to deal with this confusion. Yeah, uh, and he fits right in with the movie. Like he's this kid from somewhere else, but you you want to hang out with him as much as anyone else in the movie. Yeah, yeah. they all seem kind of like fun to be around. People, <laughs> I thought I liked his friend. Kelly one, did you identify with his friend? Uh, I, I'm imagining watching the movie that that was is like that amongst those kids, you would have been the friend who got his ass kicked. Like that that kid was that you in real life? Kelly yeah, Hunt? tell us about yeah. it, Chewbacca. I was always uh, looking at my watch during sporting events, like in <laughs> basketball games. I'd be I'd have it on and I'd be checking it constantly. How much longer I got to be out here? <laughs> were, were you on I the suck. bench? 
Not often enough, because I was tall, but I sucked at everything. I can't catch. It's fucking suck. Yeah, but exactly. And cool. in, in, in your biopic, Kelly Wand, that kid in, in Win Win, the gangly one, will play the young Kelly Wand. But that kid, he actually felt like he could do it at a certain point, and I, ever, I never once thought that. Like, I would try to do it, and i go, oh, no, I suck. This is a waste you of did, everyone's You did not have a Kyle to show you how to wrestle. Huh. Yeah, and it's, I felt bad for the rest of the team, because they were stuck with me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just depressing. Give me something to be good at, like writing synopses. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's a team effort, isn't it? Doing that for our team. And you're doing an extra really. job. Uh, what? Uh, you just George me? No, no, I didn't call you Brownie. I wasn't doing a Brownie thing. Uh, I was actually, so no joke, Kelly Wand, I was playing uh, a shooter this weekend with some folks, and, you know, we're running around shooting people. Uh, <laughs> some of them, two of them are like, that Kelly Wand's synopses are really funny. I'm like, what? Really? I'm, we're playing a shooter, right? Yeah, so you get. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. <laughs> Shut up and come. Oh, headshot. Ha ha ha. Take Man. that synopsis. <laughs> Uh, do we, do we need, the first it was a terrible shooter called Homefront. We don't want to talk about that. Uh, do, do we need to talk about more about how hot Amy Ryan is? Is it just me? No, no she's it's, and her character's extra hot. She's like she's playing. I've been seeing her play a New Jersey kind of character, like Kate Blanchett and Pushing Tin kind of. Like she has that kind of accent. So I here. Uh, you guys didn't see, uh, fortunately, like, the third season of In Treatment, but there's a there's a plot line. You know what? I, anybody who saw the first season of In Treatment, you can skip a lot of the second season. You can skip all of the third season, except for the episodes with Amy Ryan, which is one a week, of course, uh, where it, it's an it's a fantastic uh, plot line, like a, a character arc for Gabriel Byrne's character, uh, and she is so incredibly like hot and mysterious as a therapist in that. Uh, there's also a movie, Dingus. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I I know I've told you about it, a movie called The Missing Person, which is kind of like, how would you describe it? It's kind of like a uh, Raymond Chandler by way of Michael Haneke. And that's going to sound really weird, but I'm sticking with Nerd it. Nerd alert. Yeah. Where Michael Shannon plays a detective and, and uh, Amy Ryan is like, she's kind of like the hot... Uh, she's not really the femme fatale, but she's in it. And she's just so incredibly sexy. Uh, that woman is so awesome. And Kelly Wanda, I've been told that she's in The Wire. Is that true? Yes. I was about to interrupt you and say that. And then I go, no, Tom will get annoyed if I say The Wire or interrupt him. Well, so, I do need uh, to see. I know I need to see The it's Wire. It's a win-win, though. <laughs> she's barely in it, though. It's it, She's really an awesome character. And then they just, you know, she just disappears. All right. Well, so that, that's spoiler. Oh, uh, spoiler. You're never going to watch it. But yeah, she was so good in this too. God. But she, they've screwed her over in Green Zone because she gets like the thankless scene in that movie. Mm, she's not in Green Zone. I don't know what you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah, that's Amy Adams. <laughs> but what was uh, pleasing to me as I watched this and watched her character develop, which I, I really just loved her, her fierce protectiveness of her family and this, this, this is what's right. We have to do this, Mike. We have to do this. And the way she calls to him, calls him to account and finds a way to forgive him, forgive him, and and how fierce she is about wanting to beat the hell out of yeah. um, Kyle's mother. But then she comforts her. She's just got a great range in this. And what struck me is that 
for me and for I think you guys too, obviously, last year was just such a rich year for female performances, and it's just great to see uh, an, uh, another one crop up so early. Yes. And I, I hope that continues because that's what I really key on when that. And this is something that Tom um, really made me think about last year when we were talking about our 127 hours podcast is the way female energy affects a film where where the males are sort of holding forth on the conversation and the way that female energy changes and ripples through the film and her energy is for me the emotional power of this film and and what really draws me to it and it was it's so exciting to me to see females getting decent roles and and hopefully getting getting to do more of them and and i really really liked that in this movie yeah yeah you know what would have been in this movie if uh studios had made it instead of Sundance is Kyle would have had a girlfriend who was like, Oh, what's wrong, Kyle? Is it your mom? <laughs> no, shut up. It's it's everything. Right. And he would ride a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. I am I am number Kyle. <laughs> I killed them all. Tuscan Raider women. They had bandages on their heads. But why would you women, go there? Uh, why would you go there, Kelly Wand? Well, because what's more studio and shitty than Star Wars prequels? Fair enough. Good point. Now, See? Tom, I've, I've got a question for you. Sure. How do you feel about um, Bobby Cannavale in this? Well, he's the clown, and I'm okay with that because it's sort of like they just transplanted him from Station Agent. <laughs> it's just, you know what? We liked the uh, the clown energy you brought to Station Agent, so let's just put that in here. Uh, he doesn't get a payoff. He gets no payoff. Well, he's divorce. the clown. You know, the clown doesn't get that. You know, he's he's yeah. he's almost literally like the clown in an Italian opera who is being cuckolded by his wife. You know, he's 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 that he's he's, he's that pretty guy. funny. Come on, hurry up! It's cold. My ass is cold. Oh, he's he's very funny. I love Bobby Cannavale and that kind of naturalistic, humorous role. And I I don't know that there was any improv here, but it seemed like clearly stuff tailor made for the kind of humor he was doing in Station Agent. So even though uh, I got no sense for any, like, he didn't feel like a meaningful character, I, I thought it you know, it's a joke when we see the guy with the tool belt going into his house. You know, the movie didn't really care about him, so I don't think we All were right. supposed to necessarily. But I, I appreciate, you know, I don't mind a clown in my movies. Uh, did, did he bother you? Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor's another, like, he's like the old grumpy clown. Uh, yeah. The clowns, he don't get along. Oh, he's taking my clown seat. Right. <laughs> They they all but had red noses. Uh, Dingus, did did any of did either of those bother you? You were okay with the the, the clownish factor. No, I I loved him. Yeah, I I had no problem with him whatsoever. The the when he the moment in the wrestle off that first time where where Kyle says, well, we should have a wrestle off. I'm not just going to take this guy's weight weight class. I'm gonna, we're going to wrestle, and and this is the first time Bobby is in uh, practice and he's sitting up there and is and is. He's sitting there and his sock feet are just dangling. He's got these blue socks on. Yeah. <laughs> and, green. Uh, I just loved I I love I, I think the way you put it is perfect. I like the the clown stuff he's doing with from the wee golfy stuff he does yes. mm-hmm. th- uh, to all that that coaching stuff where he's yelling, "Hey, let's take out this I forget let's what fuck word that he punk is. up. Yeah. Um I I thought he was great and I thought he was he was perfect and you know when when he when um when he and Jeffrey Tambor are fighting over seats, I, I loved all that stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's perfect to sort of offset what's going on with Kyle. They were like Monk and Ham and Doc Savage's crew, huh, guys? What? 
Wow. I'm so glad um, I have no wow. idea what you're talking about. You guys didn't read 1930s pulp novels? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about half the time. See, Ham was the lawyer, and then the other one. He had this one awesome line where he says, you opened up your kimono and showed them the train or something like that. Yeah, like, I, was, I was actually just going to say, uh, Kelly Wan just opened his kimono and fed you the train. <laughs> How'd it feel, Dick? <laughs> what the fuck you're <laughs> <laughs> I can do the caboose too. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got one eighty degrees and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, feet upon that free. Too soon? Was that too soon? Uh, what else are you going to say? It's an awesome movie, mostly. It's an awesome well, we're all movie. agreeing on what a great movie it is. So You yeah. should see yeah, it for all the whining. We, we could agree on what a great movie it is for another half hour, but I, th- I think folks got the, got yeah, the message. So Spare yeah, absolute... that. Was that the first movie this year we've all three loved? Yeah, it's, it the first movie we've, it's the second movie in a row we've agreed on, too, because last week we all loathed Battle for Planet of the Apes. Oh, right, right, yeah. Uh, we, we all really we all, loved uh, Drive Angry and that witch movie. Kelly was a lover of the witch Kelly, movie. Yeah, Kelly was talking about how Season of the Witch might be one. Of, we we lost the podcast, unfortunately. The uh, best Nicolas Cage performance since leaving Las Vegas. Since yeah. Social Network. It's the best movie. So. <laughs> and Avatar. Uh, Kelly, um, what is, oh no, Dingus, what is this week's 3x3? Three three? Uh, this week's 3x3, three three, I think it's number 72, but I can't be sure about that. Uh, this would be our three favorite specific flashback moments in movies, wow. not not in moments. TV shows. Moments. Why do you think Because did, I like moments. And I, did, I really like love moments. One, I don't yeah. want you to give me a flashback. He did the rest of the moments, but that one moment in that one flashback was great. But the 90 other moments surrounding it, bullshit. No, no, he's specifying it has to be a specific flashback. Right, I don't want a flashback movie. I want yeah. a flash. Uh, a specific... Tell us. That, by the way, you know that's going to happen in the thread. Everybody's going to be like, "Memento." <laughs> I think yeah. flashback. That whole movie's a flashback. Memento. You know? Yeah, Saving Private Ryan because uh, flashback. This whole movie. Duh. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Flashback. I love that. Every movie is a flashback because it's on film and Tom's got tape in his face. <laughs> Usual suspects. I love that yeah. flashback. Oh, so, that was such a good yeah, flashback. Look for his face in the flashback. Oh, dude, don't usually suspect. So good. Oh, dude. But I understand, Dingus, you were looking for specific instances in a movie of a flashback and not like some narrative device. Or So I, I got that, and I appreciated having to think of it as that exercise. This was a tough one, though. Uh, yeah, it was, it was tough for me, too. Go ahead, Kelly. What? Nothing, nothing. I'm sorry. No, no. It was tough for me, too, and I got a, I got a little annoyed with myself, actually, as the week went on. Hmm. I was annoyed with you until I came up with three that I really like. I mean, I, I, I feel I have three solid choices here. One of which I'm just going to talk about for an hour, so I hope you guys are okay with that. Uh, let's see. I am introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so I go first, I believe. I go first. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how I sound? Wow. Uh, all right, my number three. Oh, hold on. I did not number these on the list. I don't want to. Wow, God, this could take forever. <laughs> okay, there. Wait, your number three is the one that's got a number three in front of it. I didn't. There wasn't one. It, it's. I see now. Now that I've written it. Uh, mine. So I. I in looking for specific flashbacks, like I wanted to specifically make it something that's that's integral to the character and the plot. You know, not a narrative trick like we talked about. Not some comedic bit. 
like John Turturro having to go house to house to say that he's a pedophile and Big Lebowski, where they, they just show that and it's a joke. Like, I didn't want something like that. I didn't want a character's state of mind. Uh, for instance, Ben Chaplin in, in uh, Thin Red Line has these lovely moments where he's thinking of his wife back at home. Those aren't really flashbacks. That's his state of mind. Certainly no hallucinations. You know, there are in like 127 hours or things where James Franco is remembering stuff. That's not really a flashback so much. I wanted to specifically think of the, the movie saying, OK, now we're going to go backwards in time. and we're going to tell you something that you didn't know about this character. In all three instances, uh, this is character development, and I feel that it's important what you learn and when you learn it. So my number three, uh, and what I love about this, Dingus, is give me an opportunity to talk about three great movies. Uh, my number three is a movie we saw last year. And the flashback, I, didn't, I think I missed the importance of it the first time I saw this movie. But the flashback is so important to understanding the significance of what is going on in this movie and why the character making the choices he's making is so morally bereft. And it's the moment in Killer Inside Me, after uh, Casey Affleck's character has just been confronted with this, uh, this, this dark past that he's got about his brother uh, being accused of molesting a girl and then later his brother dies and maybe it's a murder, like a revenge thing where somebody had him murdered because of the girl being molested. He, uh, this is brought up to him, and then he drives home, and he pulls into the driveway, and he pulls up past a dusty old car in the garage. This is his old family house where his, his folks used to live, and there's an old dusty car in the garage that obviously doesn't get driven. And he looks at it, and there's a brief flashback of him as a boy in that car molesting the girl for whom his brother was murdered and, and went to prison for this crime. And, and you realize, and it's such a brief moment because you don't it, – it's not – uh, it's not an over-the-top thing, and if you don't hear that the, the boy coming up to the car to see what's going on inside of it is calling the name of Casey Affleck's character, you may not realize that the details that were just presented to you, that Casey Affleck's brother molested someone and went to prison, you don't realize those details are, are fake, they're a lie. If you don't, if you're not clear on on the names of the characters, so when a boy comes up to the car and is calling for Lou, his character's name is Lou Ford, he's calling Lou, Lou, and then looks in the car and there's another boy in there molesting the girl. You know, if you're not paying attention, that right there, that's what puts all the events of the movie into motion, uh, and that is a huge clue about this character's motivation, what he's been through, the terrible things he has done and will do. Uh, and I just love that one little bit of information and uh, when it's presented in the movie and the significance that it has throughout the movie. So there's that my number That is three. fantastic. Um, Damn, that is great. Your number three just blew my number three out of the water, you jerk. Well, I have a number two and a number one that I like better. Oh, that is so great. I didn't even think of that. That is Oh, man, that is we freaking about, great. When we talked about Killer Inside Me, and I, I had seen it, I think, maybe three times by the time we did the podcast on it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I did not catch that at all. Uh, and it, it wasn't until the second time I saw that movie, I was like, wow. And you guys both knew because I brought it up. You guys had both caught it. But I just love that detail, how subtle it is, and how it's just a, a flashback. And the moment it's presented, and, you know, that it's obviously keyed off of him having just heard about his brother Mike and he pulls into the driveway and he sees the car and it just keys off of that uh, I just love that little bit so there you go my number three killer inside me uh, the brief flashback it's not really a spoiler by the way because so much more happens beyond that one detail uh, wow you're gonna if you're opening with that wow I, well, all three of these are from they're from Casey Affleck movies so that <laughs> <all>. <laughs> 
Uh, there actually are not any flashbacks in Assassination of Jesse James, <laughs> just so you know. I wanted so oh, bad to come up with one, though. Just a <laughs> grief, Kelly Wand. <laughs> All right, so, uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number three favorite flashback? Uh, you know what? This tape is hurting my ear. Oh, God. I'm going to... I hope you guys know how much I'm suffering for this podcast. All right, Kelly, what's your number three favorite flashback? You have tape on your ear, even? It's, well, it it's just... I'm just going to... We're going to have to get the it's studio... It's like having waxed. Your ear's waxed. They've been pinned, <laughs> not waxed. Oh. Yeah, neat, Kelly. Anyway, uh... <laughs> What's your number three favorite flashback, Kelly Wand? What do you got for us? How you sound to me. I hope that's not an insult. Uh, this is my least interesting one because I've decided that it's better to save the good ones. So these aren't necessarily in better order, but just least boring. Wait, most boring to least boring. Okay. That's the best I can hope to strive for <laughs> in my life. Uh, my number three is Godfather 2. The moment, actually, where Robert De Niro is the young Vito Corleone, shoots that um, dude in the dark hallway of the apartment building, and he uh, has the gun wrapped in like cloth in his hand, and it catches fire, so his hand's on fire from shooting this guy. And I really like that, because it's so, like, ah, oh, the good old days before silences, like, Keep your night hand nice and warm. You can, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually just that one. Now, are there, yeah, I guess they, they are flashbacks, of course, but they're a, a bulk. They're, they're a huge part of the movie. Didn't you mention this silencer thing in the context of another three by three? Do you remember what that was, Kelly Wand? No. Didn't you? Maybe not. Uh, I, maybe it was something else. But I remember you, I think, talking about this silencer moment recently. In uh, what? In Godfather, I think it was three favorite silencer kills. Was it assassin in our assassination, our assassin, uh, or hitman scenes? Did well, that, I can't remember every dumbass thing I've said that take up too much GBs. <laughs> but, so what's that, Dingus? Go ahead. He talked about the gun fumble in the first Godfather. Oh right, right. Oh, very good, very good, Kelly Wan. Okay. he's thinking, right? Now Dingus should get credit for that. Kelly Wan is redeemed. So. Wait, what? I don't see how that's a redemption of anything. We, we just what just happened? Well, we I was almost heard. accusing you of doubling up on three by threes. Like, no, a, it's a different Godfather movie. And it's that guy's dad. So if you think about it, it's a perfect echo. It's like here, Fredo. If you have the gun wound up in your hand, you won't fumble it. <laughs> your hand may catch fire. So it's sort of a lose lose, if I may. Uh, very good, very good, Kelly Wand. But I like. I'm a big fan of like period piece physical comedy. Which I'm expecting tons of in the upcoming movie Your Highness with Natalie Portman's thong, um, but like Samurai's like, or no, in Gladiator when like the ice made the guy's sword stick, like you wouldn't have that problem now, but because it happens to be in Rome in cold weather. Did you love the bit in uh, the Clive Owen King Arthur where they're out on the frozen lake that cracks? I actually did love that bit. <laughs> hey, I did too. All right. High five, Kelly Wan, right here. I don't, that movie's kind of not that good, but that was the one awesome part of that movie. It really it's was, wasn't really it? Good. I love that part. <laughs> I was like, wait, this is a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I take I back what I was thinking before. It's the only thing I remember about it, too. I, I can't remember a single thing about that movie other than, yeah, that cool bit on the ice. <laughs> I saw the director. It's like, he, that guy, it's the guy who did Training Day director. Oh, Anton Fuqua. That's right. Anton wow. Fuqua. Um, and so he, in his original ending, 
there's like it's it's super like gloomy and then the studio made him like shoot a wedding scene of, for Arthur and Guinevere after that for Kira Knightley marrying Clive Owen and he's like on the commentary track as well yeah so the studio thought it'd be awesome to have a wedding right after we killed a bunch of people they thought that made sense so here's your fucking ending <laughs> alright Antoine here's the real one I wanted and then he shows you that one. so it's like he's bitter alright the end he screwed up the end of. Uh, by the way, he also screwed up the end of Training Day. I maintain by showing uh, Denzel. This is a, I think, a, a long-standing like Training Day nerd. It's like the hand shooting first. Of well, Denzel made him do that too. So he was. He, they overruled him. Oh, I hate times. that. I hate He's that we. Obama. He gave in every on everything, just like Obama. Like, all right, all right. I'll whoa, kill whoa, Kelly Wan, too soon. <laughs> what? Oh, was that a Gilbert Gottfried? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Antoine Fuqua will roll over for uh, for anyone. All right. What did Bruce Willis make him do for Tears of the Sun? Uh, shoot the movie and release it. <laughs> Very good. All right, Dickus, let's get to – so this is your topic. Let's get to your number three. What is your third favorite flashback moment in a movie? I'm so embarrassed by mine now. I don't want to – can we just move on to next week's? I think you and I might duplicate one. <clears throat> not this one i can be pretty sure <laughs> hmm, so attack of the clones is technically a prequel <laughs> or a flashback all of those films are flashbacks and the Padres ah. is a great flashback mm-hmm. <laughs> also the three novels are canon but the other one's not canon because it was put out by a different publisher all right i think i'm known as uh an unbreakable apologist and um this flashback is from the film unbreakable uh because i love m night Shyamalan. And the the specific flashback here is the is the moment when David Dunn, who is Bruce Willis's character, not from that other movie Tom just referenced, and he goes back to look at the wrecked train cars and he flashes back to the car accident uh, where he wasn't hurt. Um, but what's more is is it's where he, he peels the car door off to save Audrey, who will become his wife. And this memory is clearly a buried one until this moment. I mean, there's a there's a moment earlier in the film where he looks at where he's reading the paper about the train accident. And then he he goes and he he pulls out this clipping of about the car accident and the camera kind of pushes in on that. But then we just go away from that about this guy who survived this car accident. And then he goes and he has an actual flashback to where a young him is rescuing her by peeling this car door off. And it's just very much this origin superhero thing that he buried. And, and he's just remembering now. And what I, what I was really looking for in these moments and something that Tom sort of tapped into when he was talking is, is actually seeing the moment in flashback is important for us and for the character so that, so that if we just had a monologue about it, it wouldn't be as effective as seeing it happen. And um, unfortunately, at the end of this, Shyamalan sort of cheeses it out a little bit with the look the guy gives at the very end of the flashback. But I still like the flashback. I like the the whole thing of Bruce Willis going into the the area where the train cars are and and seeing this this moment happen and remembering finally this memory he's had buried of why he survived this accident and and what actually happened in it. Uh, can I say something? Yeah, you you're next. There's uh I'm next after uh, that. I call I'm raising my hand after that. So. All right. I too am an unbreakable apologist and in fact, on the unbreakable DVD, there's like some deleted scenes that are better 
than almost anything in the movie, and it's a bummer they deleted them. And they're, they're all flashbacks. And one of them is like Mr. Glass is a little kid riding this ride at Disneyland or something, and he's like trying to like fit in with the other kids, but of course he gets totally bashed to shit because his bones are too weak, so it's kind of this traumatic incident from his youth. And they cut it, and there's also a really awesome one with Bruce Willis and his wife having this really uncomfortable dinner where at one point she says something and he realizes that she might have had an affair or something and just wipes his lips really slowly and carefully. And uh, I don't oh, know. It's oh, good. Oh, oh, oh yes. M. Night. <laughs> no, they're really good. I know I'm making them sound retarded. But, um. uh, say right, what you were going to say. Okay, then. my turn is, I, just, I, I remember so little about that movie. Dingus, as you were talking, I had no idea. I, I don't remember any of that. I, I should probably see this silly movie again. Because you love it so much. Don't. Just don't. I remember. Yeah, why did you say that? You guys both like it. What? You no, you know what? I thought the ending sucked, and I was like, ah, unbreakable blows. But then as Dim Knight made uh, things like The Village and The Happening and Last Airbender, I went, you know what? Unbreakable is actually a major Shyamalan. <laughs> 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 like, it's competently made, and the characters are, I don't know. Like, there's some retarded shit in it. Like. I'm just so disappointed that it didn't that it couldn't lead to something else because it's clearly a beginning and 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 we talked about this when we talked about sequels so I don't need to talk about it again but but I I like the idea of this as the opening of this this huge this world that could open up and it doesn't because the film tanked well as you know Dingus that's why you, that's why you should watch Heroes no oh, yeah yes. that's right or, or know, the English the English version of Heroes ah uh, right. The minute man. In Unbreakable, what bugged me when I first saw it wasn't that his vulnerability was water, even though we're mostly made out of water, but the fact that he was so fucking retarded because he wouldn't have noticed that he wasn't sick ever. Like, he didn't know he was Unbreakable till his late 40s. I mean, dude, that's something you'd kind of notice if you're we the covered only person. This. Oh, okay. we've, we've covered this. Go back and listen to that podcast. Which flashback. one? The one where you wanted to talk <laughs> about sequels. I know, I'm doing a flashback of. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nicely done. All right, I'm going to come in with my number two favorite flashback. And here's here's the one thing is that I think you and I might overlap on. I'm not sure. Uh, again, what I love about this flashback is the information it reveals about the character. Specifically, this character, who up until this point in the movie, we talked about Bobby Cannavale and Win-Win being like a clown. Up until this point in the movie, the character's kind of a clown. But yeah, then, no, this flashback occurs... And it brings real pathos to this character. I mean, you you understand, you learn about a physical detail about him. You learn about uh, a lot about why he is the way he is. And it's it's a major significant moment. It's also huge for the special effects used in this flashback. And I'm talking about the car wreck scene in Adaptation, where Chris Cooper mm -hmm. is talking on the phone to Meryl Streep. And she says, you know, what? why did you lose your nursery? Because he's a guy who loves plants. Uh, adaptation is based on what sounds like a terrible novel called The Orchard The Orchid Thief, which is about a guy named uh, LaRouche. I don't know his last name, but it's about a guy who would steal orchids in, in Florida. And Adaptation is Charlie Kaufman's story about trying to adapt this Unadaptable. Yeah, this book. And so what happens in the book is he imagines the author and the, the subject of the book create a relationship with each other and chris cooper is so over the top crazy his front two teeth are missing he's like a hick i mean it's it's a fantastic chris cooper performance and at one point partway through the movie as he and meryl streep are just up one night talking on the phone she says you know what happened to your nursery that you lost it 
And he's, he says something about how sometimes bad stuff just happens and darkness descends. And we go into this flashback of him, obviously younger, a little younger, his hair's in a ponytail, he's got his front teeth, and he's in his car with his family, and he pulls the car out of the driveway, and it's shot from inside the car. And uh, it's obviously done with some amazing digital technology at the time, uh, just because of how horrifying it looks. From inside of the car, a truck sideswipes it. Uh, and... We we see him on a stretcher, uh, sort of confused, and there's jump cuts and the handheld camera as the, the EMTs are working the scene, and he's strapped onto a gurney, and he's got blood all over his mouth, and his teeth have been knocked out, and he sees the sheet-covered bodies being put into an ambulance, and he's, he's like crying, saying, which ones are dead? Which ones are dead? Uh, and it's it's just this guy who's just been this outrageous, ridiculous larger than life, almost clown figure up to now, seeing that this happened to him at some point. And this is part of what, this loss is part of what made him what he is. And that's what happened to his two front teeth. Uh, it's just an amazing flashback as far as how it develops the character and as far as how terrifying that car wreck looks. Uh, it's really hard um, to watch. Um, you said it's been done to death since. I think the last time I've seen it done was in The Hangover, where now it's like, been, you've seen it so many times it could you can it can now be funny <laughs> but the first time i ever saw it was in six feet under like in the first episode richard jenkins buys it in the first episode that's right and that was before adaptation so charlie kaufman just saw six feet under just saying yeah but that's tv so it doesn't count <sighs> tom <laughs> not everything's about teeth <laughs> uh, dingus was that one of yours uh, it was not, but I love it. Oh, my God. Hold on, uh, let me get that. Okay, we have a caller. Caller, what is your favorite flashback scene? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Usual Suspects does not qualify. That whole movie is a flashback, and it didn't even really happen, so we're disqualifying you. All right, hang up on the caller. <laughs> when you describe that, I can feel... I can. It, it just transports me back to that moment when you see it in the movie. That is such a jarring moment. And, um, it, it, you know, there, I think it, there's something similar that happens in Animal Kingdom. I think No Country for Old Men has a moment like that. But that moment in adaptation, I, I think it caught me by surprise, and it really affected me. Uh, and that's a good one. I didn't, you know, that was not my, that was not the one I was thinking you were, when you were started talking about a character who's a clown, I was thinking of something totally different. I thought you were going to... Uh, you were going to trump my number one, but it turned out you didn't. So okay, good job. Good. So we'll look forward to hearing what that is. Yeah, I went back and it's really tough to watch. I mean, Chris Cooper's mm -hmm. uh, "Which Ones Are Dead" line is oh my god, that's just so, that's so just yeah. wrenching. Uh, oh, and Enter the Void steals it too. Forgot if we use steal correctly. Oh yeah, yeah, but that didn't happen. It was an imagined sequence. So no, that was real. No, real. <laughs> that whole movie was not real. Don't don't start. You don't think the parents died in that movie? Oh, the parents. I thought you were talking about uh, his sister. Oh but there's God. there's something there's something different about the side swiping as opposed yeah, to head yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and you definitely see. Uh -huh. I mean, it, like it's it's quick, but man, whatever they do, I presume it's all digital. But whatever they do, where you see, because it's shot with. His his mother's in the back seat, uh, and mm -hmm. he kills his mother and his uh, his uncle. He says, uh, and I, obviously this is based on the orchid thief, so I, I presume it's something that really happened to this character Larouche. Uh, but you you see the mother talking as the 
car comes up and there's it holds on her as her head is jerked around and her hair and there's glass flying. I mean, it's really Ugh. horrifying looking. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah. What was the was the Organ Thief uh, an article in the New Yorker? What was that? Yes, so no, it, was it was a novel. A, no, no, it was, it was it began as an article and she she uh, developed Fleshed it into it a full article into a full novel. Yeah. Oh, okay. She's okay. supposed to be really hot, by the way. That's what I heard. Like Amy Ryan hot? Yeah, but not Veronica Cartwright hot. <laughs> not that I'm not still interested. I'll do anything. Is she Paul Walker hot? I don't know. I don't know if I could do Paul Walker. There's a, there's a hummingbird in the podcast. If he grows his hair out. Is there any dude you would do, Tom? Besides Is there any Paul dude Walker? I would do? <laughs> Uh, Paul Giamatti. If it was the last man on Earth, <laughs> and you weren't gay, but and I had to repopulate the planet. It was me and another dude. Yeah, you and another. <laughs> repopulate. I've heard this theme several times. Um, <laughs> uh, Kelly, what is your number two favorite flashback? Oh, okay. This is kind of my favorite one because the last one's kind of like thought thoughtful, which is boring, but this one's just more like one line. It's actually uh, also peripherally M. Night Shyamalan related. It's from Scary Movie 3, <laughs> where they're parodying the scene from Signs, the flashback in Signs, where he goes to find his wife, the Mel Gibson character, and she's like dying from the car accident, so she says all these prophetic things so that the third act of the screenplay can come about. But in the parody movie version, in Scary Movie 3, Charlie Sheen's the Mel Gibson character, and Denise Richards is the wife. She's I love in. this. This is awesome already. Go ahead. Yes. And, and the sheriff's like, "All right, we need to. I need to try to explain to you what's wrong with her." Okay, it's like she's like this, and he keeps pulling up these food items like hot dogs and bagels. It's like, but the car's here, so she can't do this. But this is like this, and he's like, "Wait, so you mean like this?" And he pulls up like a Sunday or something. Anyway, that's not even the funny part. The funny part is, and then he's like, uh, "He's all okay. Well." He, she says a bunch of like prophetic things, and he goes, "So I'll never love again, or are you are you okay with that?" And she's all, "No, I'm not okay with that, and I don't, I'd be really upset if you ever have sex again." He goes, "So I can have sex again?" That's what she says. She says, "No, no, 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 none of that's funny either." The funny part is, remember in Signs, M Night Shyamalan was the guy who killed his wife, right? Accidental, like in the because right. he was a drunk driver. Okay, in the Scary Movie Three, it's Zach Penn. And he's sitting by the side of the road, like handcuffed. And then as Charlie Sheen walks past him towards Denise Richards, you hear Zach Penn go, hey, by the way, I might need a ride home. <laughs> oh, I love that one. That's so fun. That's good writing. God damn it. I made it a ride home. Oh, that's beautiful. Whoever wrote that line. McGruber was funny. That's that's pretty good. A plus. So that's my second. I'm still not going to watch Scary Movie three, but I like hearing about it. It's okay. Scary Movie two. It's like the Exorcist movies. It's like in a way, the third one's the best, kind of like the Exorcist. Okay. And two's the dip. But um, that line. What? Just watch that one line in one sequence. It's it's kind of. I'll see if I can find it on YouTube. Okay. Charlie Sheen back when he wasn't insane and on coke. All right. I actually. I thought we might get through this whole podcast without Charlie Sheen jokes. Although that wasn't technically uh, that was a legitimate use of Charlie Sheen, Kelly Wan. So actually, I have to applaud you on that. Yeah, who would have thought? Part. Yeah, who would have thought in this day and age that you that one could come up with a legitimate Charlie Sheen reference? Well played, very good. 
All right, so uh, Dingus, what is your number? Hot Shots Part Two is pretty funny. Two. Wait, did we do your number two, Dingus? Is it, are we down to number ones already? No, Dingus no, is number no. two. Yeah, yeah, it's Dingus, my number two. Yeah. What is your number two? Because it's, it's number one that I can't wait to hear because it, it's something about a clown. Uh, uh, you know what? Is I'm guessing Bobcat Goldthwait is involved. But go ahead. Okay, so what's your number two? Or killer clowns from outer space. My number two. I'm going to give you guys a quote from it. Awesome. <clears throat> I'm going. I'm feeling good about this. I got this one. I'll race you, Kelly. Let's see who gets Irish it first. Accent. I never get it. That I hope he does an accent. Suspense. I hope he does an accent. Okay, what do you okay, got? What do you got? Okay. Yeah, shh, shh, shh. That's swell, Mike. Congratulations. I hate that's his a, quotes. I hate that's a terrible me. quote. God. Hey, you know what? He always does that. This is always a wretched disappointment. I fucking hate Dingus and the stupid podcast. <laughs> what a terrible feature when he does the That's swell? He always does something because it's too obscure, because he thinks you're too good guessing them. So he does something no one could get, and then feels like he's won something, and then we talk about it. (laughs) And hate himself, like they do right now. You just did a great psychological profile of Dingus, Kelly Wand. (laughs) And our listeners. (laughs) Give me the quote again, Dingus. I I don't think I've seen this movie. Do it with the accent. Do it the way Peter Dinklage would do it. (laughs) There's a black thing. All right, here's the quote. That's well, Mike. Congratulations. That's that's not a quote. That's a line. Like we. That's not. Yeah. That's quotes are lines the way movies or documentaries. Dingus. <sighs> Go. That's well, Mike. Congratulations. I don't know. What's the movie with a guy named Mike in it? All right. Here's Give a better us- quote okay. from that same scene. Okay. Right, uh, actually, from the flashback I'm talking about. They're saps because they risk their lives for strangers. Ah, oh, wait, wait. Backdraft. King Kong. No, it's Backdraft, because there's flashbacks in Backdraft, where Kurt Russell plays his own father. I'm guessing The backdraft. title is almost a f- the word flashback. It's half the word flashback. No. Flashdraft. Who's right? Who's right? Dingus. Yeah, neither of you is right. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and reveal the movie to you now. Okay. okay. I, I, don't th- I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's a movie called Godfather Part 2. He's <laughs> a Pete. What? Oh, Mike. <laughs> Mike, that Mike. There is yeah. a character Mike in that. Uh, the, the specific flashback, and I'm sh- surprised you haven't seen this movie, Kelly. Um, it's the very last scene of the film, and this is one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things in the film. And Godfather 2 took a long time for me to warm up to when I, when I, I mean, I've seen it so many times, and it, it's just not the, it's not the same movie, obviously, that Godfather is. It's got a different feel to it and a different pace to it and for a kid learning movies it was it's really was really hard for me to warm up to but this last scene after uh fredo has met his demise on the lake when when um when mike is in when michael corleone is in his study and he just leans back over the chair and he hears the music all of a sudden and we go into this flashback of the of of him with his brothers at the uh, at the meal table, um, when Mike first reveals that he's joined the Marines, uh, I love this flashback. And one of the things I love about it is the is how Fredo is the one person at the table. You know when when um du- Robert Duvall when Tom hey, Tom is saying uh, you, your father and I have plans for you when um when James Caan is saying you're you're a putz and and there's Fredo saying congratulations Mike and and James Caan is like get out of here uh, 
I love that this is what Mike is remembering in this moment. That he's remembering this moment of the of them being together, and and this is what he carries back after that moment on the lake when he hears the gunshot. I um, haven't seen Godfather Two because I prefer uh, Coppola's early funny movies more, like Stardust Memories. In the but, conversation. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that anyway. But, uh, I to me that scene's kind of just I thought about that scene, but then I, I had to disinclude it from contention because it's extremely distracting to me that Brando's not in it. And it's all about his birthday. And it's just well, that, it's like, but, you know, but that's what I not. love that the that the camera lingers on Mike at the table because it's his flashback and he stays at the table and everybody else goes to greet the Godfather. He goes yeah. to greet Brando and he it, it's it's his flashback and it's they don't cheat. It stays with him in the scene, and it's about what he's going through in that moment and remembering that moment of being with his brothers and, and when Fredo was compassionate to him. Yeah, but Dingus, does he does he burn his hand with a wrapped up silencer though? I don't. That's yeah, not in your, that's not in your scene, so I don't. Yeah, understand if it doesn't have point. fire and it's not a flashback, Tom Chick taught me that rule when he taught me what documentaries are. <laughs> well, they do talk about putting candles in the cake. Uh, g- rebuttal, Kelly. Uh, uh, the cake is has was fire was used to create it, and therefore, without the candles, it would also be eligible. <laughs> not Kelly One Robot. This is not a robot competition, he, Kelly One. For his early stuff, like Paranormal <laughs> Activity One. <laughs> that's good, Vegas. And that's the last shot of Godfather Two. Well, the that's, last actual shot is a fade back from him at the table to his old his old. Yeah, he looks face. like a zombie, and he's like by the graveyard, and he looks super cold and bitter and like zombie catatonic. He's all. Ugh. But see, okay, so see, Kelly Wan, so just to to champion Dingus's choice here, like I and and I know you're fun in him, but this is what the importance of a flashback can also be when it occurs. You know, after he's just killed Fredo, this is what he's remembering about Fredo. I mean, I love that. You know, flashbacks, the content of the flashback is just as important as when the movie decides to put in the flashback. I think that's huge. But when I saw that scene, even before I found out that that was the case, I go, hmm, Brando should be in this scene because it's about him. And uh, it's not about him, though. And I think Ding is absolutely right. It's not about him. It's about him remembering his relationship to Fredo. Uh, We'll put it this way. He was supposed to be in the scene and then they couldn't get him because he was pissed off at Paramount for his treatment of sometimes person. sometimes i know yeah. i agree with you no okay. no i totally agree with that statement too like that's you've kind of won the argument there like i can't i i do believe that too i do believe that happy accidents have yielded so many awesome things but there but, is that little it sounds like you've got that little historical detail sort of eaten away at your brain at that point i understand that just though. in this one it's like you would have heard his voice from the other room if he's in the next room because he's in the next room. He comes in and he's in the next room and it's dead quiet. And it's just like, it's only quiet because he's like, why is it so fucking quiet? Fucking Marlon Brando's in the next room. He's not mumbling yet. He forgot He forgot his line. That's why it's quiet. Aha, good point. <sighs> <sighs> he sent in an, an Indian girl to play him. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Let's do our number ones. Are you guys ready for our, our favoriteest flashbacks of all time? Oh, I'm excited. All right, Very so I'm going to – I'm sorry to roll this one out, but I, I ended up – this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm just going to watch the one scene, and by golly, if I didn't end up watching the whole movie, because this is uh, – we've talked before, or I've talked before about what I feel are perfect movies, uh, and this – I think it's one of the most perfect movies ever made, period, uh, and I say that without any irony – 
Um, and I think the Paul it's, Walker of movies, <laughs> the Paul Walker of movies, if any such thing could exist. Uh, and I think it's also it's the flashback might be a little cliched. But uh, you're about to take my number one. I hate you. I, I, really? I, I fire you. I'm firing you from this podcast. I can't be taking your number one, Dingus, because this movie, I remember having a conversation with you about this movie, and you were like, oh, this movie, movie was made in 1932. <laughs> Is that what I'm going to take? No, what are you talking okay, about? Okay, we're fine. Dingus once tried to tell me that Casablanca was shot in 1932. <laughs> oh, what? thank goodness. All right, good. <laughs> this is twice you've, you've freaked me out. All right, good. Good for you. Uh, okay, so Casablanca, which I, I maintain, and having just now uh, seen it again, there is uh, not a single scene or line or gesture or camera movement that is wasted in that movie. Almost everything is freaking perfect. I mean, from, from Humphrey Bogart fingering these chess pieces at some point to up the champagne glass after Peter Lorre gets arrested. Uh, everything is so freaking perfect in this movie. So So early on... You know, it introduces the place. It does a great job of introducing Casablanca, and then it narrow it, it zooms down. It narrows down the focus a little bit on Rick's cafe, and then eventually we meet Rick, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, we we get a lot. We get a fair bit of exposition about him. You know, Claude Rains as the the French police chief. Uh, talks about his background even the nazi officer sort of at one point grills him about his background um he's a grim serious guy obviously carrying some baggage um and the scene where and and then of course when ingrid bergman comes in you know there's something going on there but the the flashback scene to paris is is brilliant for when and how it fits into the movie and and i want to talk a little bit about this uh, so obviously Ingrid Bergman comes back and we know there's some sort of heat between the two of them. There's something going on. Uh, the way Sam reacts makes it very clear. Uh, there's that fantastic scene where he meets Victor Laszlo and there's a lot of subtext in the dialogue. And then Ingrid Bergman, uh, it's Ilsa and Victor Laszlo go away and Rick is alone in the cafe and he's getting drunk. And he's, you know, he's obviously upset having just seen her. And Sam comes in, you know, his fateful sidekick. Uh, <laughs> and and Sam is like, you know, let's go fishing. We'll drive all night and we'll go fishing. You know, Sam knows how much he's hurt. And so Sam's and and Rick is saying, no, take the night. You know, I don't want I take the night off. Go away. And Sam's like, no, I'm going to stay here with you. I'm going to play you some music. And so Sam sits down and plays music. And he tells him, you know, play the song. And Sam doesn't want to play it, you know, as time goes by, because he knows that that reminds Rick of Ilsa, and he's not going to play it. And Humphrey Bogart just has this really petulant, uh, if she can take it, I can, because she had come in earlier and asked him to play it. And that's what brought Rick out. Uh, so it reminds me of a scene where, like, a drunk, sullen teenager with his iPod wants to listen to that one depressing song after he's run into ex his ex-girlfriend. We've all been there. And it's the equivalent of that in 1942, where, you know, this, this character who's really grim and hard-boiled and tough just really breaks down because he's, ran, he's run into an ex. And then we go into the flashback. And from the moment the flashback starts, the entire tone and quality is different. They're in a uh, in a convertible, and their hair's whipping around. And up to now, you know, Humphrey Bogart's hair has been like slicked back immaculately. You know, he's got that bogey look, and uh, and certainly Ingrid Bergman too. And they're in a car, and their hair's all breezy, and they're 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 smiling and happy. And and Ingrid Bergman too has this amazing. She's such a beautiful woman, but she's got this just really poignant sadness to her. 
and and she, that that's so clear early on in the movie when she comes in, but that's gone in the first scene in the flashback. Uh, and and whereas before movements have been real meticulous and careful, there's this sort of gaiety about the, about them in the flashback where she's flipping a coin and at one point he he tosses a peanut at her and it almost feels like a different movie. Like it's almost like suddenly they're doing this sort of relaxed, naturalistic kind of acting. Uh, and it's where the here's looking at you kid line comes in, all playful and everything. And even when Sam plays as time goes by, it's got a jauntier quality. Uh, and and how it sort of charts their relationship for whatever reason. We later find out that it has to do with Victor Laszlo getting out of a concentration camp. And by the way, let me just say, the fact this movie was made in 1942 and is mentioning concentration camps uh, you know, there's even a line where Victor Laszlo says to a German officer, uh, you know, if if we if you even if you arrest me, thousands more will spring up uh, and and even the Nazis can't kill them that quickly. I mean, the kind of things they say about Nazis and about World War Two in a movie that was shot in 1941, uh, it's just uncanny. Um, so uh, so over the course of this flashback of, of course, Ilsa ends up leaving him for reasons we don't find out until later. But that famous scene of him in the rain, in his trench coat and hat, which he will later put on for, for the later parts of the movie, when he gets the note from her, and there's a, a close-up of him opening the note and reading it in the rain, and the rain is falling on the note and making the ink run. Uh, and then when Sam finally gets him on the train, and the train pulls away, and he crumples up the note and throws it off to one side. I mean, these are just such iconic, just fantastic shots, and they hold up so well even though it's a little cliched i mean it makes me it, it's cliched for a reason because it's so good and so effective and it fits so well into this movie about these characters telling us something about them explaining us explaining to us a little bit about why they are the way they are you know even though we've got an exposition about who bogey was this was a little about who rick was this is a little key a little bit to the clue a little clue to the, the overall mystery that we didn't know before uh so I, I just, good Lord, Casablanca is amazing. Uh, and I just, I love that, that flashback. So there you go. That's my favorite. Uh, Which character is Casablanca again? <laughs> it is That's a character. Ingrid Bergman, like, Ingmar Bergman character. The setting too. Like it, it's amazing watching the, uh, watching Rick's cafe introduced and thinking, oh, that's where George Lucas got the ideas for the cantina scene. You know, that, right. that sort of North African architecture and everything and all the different characters yeah. that populate the Arabs, Jawas, Asians, uh, trade <laughs> well, federation. I mean, you're, you're kind of joking, but there, the, Casablanca does such a great job of creating a global sensibility. Uh, you know, they're, they're Germans, Italians, French characters are introduced as Norwegian or Czech or Hungarian. I mean, it really is this place where all of these people who are alien together come alien to each other come together. So Casablanca is very much a character in this movie. Uh, the sense of place is, is just fantastic. And that's another thing about the flashback, by the way, is up to now, the movie is closed in on Rick's cafe. And then when it opens out onto Paris, you know, that, that it's the we'll always have Paris bit. Uh, you know, it, it breathes, even though, you know, you're seeing these sort of cheesy old timey stuff where the actors are against a screen to show them, you know, like they're in the convertible driving along, you know, suddenly the movie's open and it's a different, entirely different kind of place. And by the way, also in 1942, having a movie about the fall of Paris, I mean, what that must have, the emotional resonance that must have had for people back then would be like a movie, you, you know, we're, we're 10 years away from it now, but it's like a movie set in New York during 9-11. 
I mean, the fall of Paris in 1942 was inconceivable to, to people back then. Uh, so, and, and there's even like cheesy lines. Like there's this famous line, was that cannon fire or was it my heart pounding? You know, that's such a <laughs> stupid line. But Ingrid Bergman, good Lord, does she sell that? You know, she can say lines like that. Uh, and no, it's line, cannon fire. <laughs> well, that's no, my but, response. His line give, is... Give it to us in the accent, Tom. Come on. Ah, sir. <laughs> his response is, it's the new German 77. You know, it's because like, he's a gun runner. It's a, it's a character detail because you find out he's been, he's, he knows about arms. He's been a gun runner in the Spanish Civil War. So that's his response is, yes, it's cannon fire and here's what it is. <laughs> you know, so when he's banging her, he's thinking about munitions. You know, like I, like I said before, there's not a wasted line in this movie. Every single thing said in this movie is there for a reason. I cannot think of a shred of this movie you could cut out. Uh, it, it's it's just a fantastic piece of work. Uh, and like I said, just one of the, the most perfect movies of all time. And so here you go with an early instance of a of a flashback, and you just get so much from it. It's such a different tone. It teaches you so much about the characters. It has these iconic images, you know, him in that outfit on the train throwing away the note. God, what a fantastic scene. Uh so there you go. There, there's, there, there's. I'm the, the podcast's official Casablanca evangelist. Well, not only I, that, but you also equated it with Star Wars movies, and I just wanted to say, because um, I know you feel strongly about those too. But the <laughs> difference is that there's no gambling like there is in Rick's Cafe in Star Wars movies until The Phantom Menace, because they bet bet on the pod races, because that was the first Star Wars movie that wasn't for kids. Ah, good, good point. Long time to get there, but yes, Dingus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, Kelly, because Tom. One of the things Tom <laughs> said at the beginning of this was how there's there's no. He said oh, there's a, there's nothing about this film that that shouldn't be there. And one of the things he said there's not even a gesture that shouldn't be in this movie. And mm. I think from now on, whenever Tom says the mo- the word gesture, I think we all know what we think. When he <laughs> we says think the of non fake, right? Exactly. <laughs> now, uh, where Tom's uh, hand is. I think this is probably the best the best example of of how an extended flashback can work in a movie because you're right about you're right about everything you say about the movie Tom. I'm I'm really happy that you chose it, but one of the things that made me shy away from it is that it feels like an entire act. And so it was hard for me to to pick a moment, but I I I know your affection for this film, so so I I think you're right to to pick it. Well, now you say it feels like an entire act, but it's really only I think about four scenes like there's montage of them like laughing and he's throwing peanuts at her and whatnot uh there i think there's like two conversations between them there's stock footage of the germans rolling in and then there's the the train platform scene uh but you're right it does feel like you know you couldn't do this on on stage they would have to, this would be a set change so I, <laughs> but it's not as long as i remembered it being uh it, it's pretty oh. quick and uh you know it it it's and it, it's very clear, you know. It's 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 pretty well contained while he's sitting there drinking. I, I presume it's gin. I don't know it, that they say what he drinks. Um, but uh, so yeah, I don't. It's not that long, but uh, but but fair enough. It's not a moment. I'll grant you that. It's definitely like five scenes. So fair enough. I I think you're probably right about that because it looms so large in my memory. Um, but I think you're probably right about its actual like minute impact upon the film and I, it's interesting now to me to think what he's drinking because he talks about gin joints right but he drinks bourbon in um the big sleep i think so i don't know what he's drinking there 
I'm going to just say Jin because I like Jin myself. All right. Hey, and the performances in this, by the way, are so like I'm so used to seeing old movies and they've got their conventions and, and like whatever. That's how they used to act back then. But the performance in this are so good, like all around. Like I, I you know, her her sort of sadness and her gravity. Um, the the way Bogey after he sees uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman and uh, Paul Hint. No, what's the guy who plays Victor Laszlo? Anyway, Giamatti. what's his name? Paul, Paul Henrid. You guys right. don't. It's Paul Henry. Paul Henry. It's Claude Rains is the, the French guy. It's Paul Henry, right? After he sees them, the way Bogey holds his shoulders, even, like he, he slumps, physically slumps after he sees her. It's really amazing to watch. Even Peter Lorre, like he's so over the top, people do impressions of him. But the moment when he turns, turns around from the roulette table, when some uh, some of the guys in fezes, whatever they call the cops, then tap him on the shoulder and, and ask him to come with him, like the look on his face. Uh, I mean, there's all they're, they're just great little performances, uh, like subtle little stuff that that I would have thought, you know, eh, they didn't act that way in 1942. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just what? okay. So. That's interesting. No, but we that all expect be... them to be so much more presentational. Yeah, exactly. And, and seeing the way they establish relationships and the way uh, the way Humphrey Bogart has a, a totally different quality to his relationship with Inger, uh, with Ingrid Bergman than um, oh geez now I can't remember who's in the Big Sleep uh, Lauren Bacall thank you yeah. Lauren Bacall there's just a totally di- yeah. there's a total different quality because he's playing two different characters and you just expect it to be all so presentational but it's not right right, right. Um. Kelly Wand, have you seen Casablanca? <laughs> Go ahead, that's up. Uh, I've seen the city, but not the movie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, but you were talking about conventions. You know what else has conventions? Las Vegas? <laughs> no, Star Trek. <laughs> Those were both good answers. Uh, I'll accept both of them. What's the question? Did I see the movie? <laughs> I saw that and a girl ruined it for me. Like she kept mocking it, and I'm like, oh, now I can't enjoy it anymore. Are you serious? Because I can't. I don't see what's mockworthy about it. I mean, I really did. Uh, you know, I have it. I put it in just to go to the flashback sequence, and I wanted to. I wanted to see how it opened too. And watching those old credits roll, I'm like, okay, I'll just watch some of the first part. I I just can't tear myself away from that movie. It is so immaculately paced. I think as yeah. well. You know what's great about that movie is that you can see it more than once, Kelly. What? <laughs> You, you don't have title? to. You don't have to invite that girl back every time you watch it. No, but then I'll think it's hard. Well, we'll get into my number one a little bit. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, well, speaking of which, what is your number one, Kelly? What's your favorite flashback of all time? Well, this one's kind of maybe dumb because it's sort of like this was a movie that changed my life, kind of like Casablanca. Zapped. No. Zap did change my life a lot, but. It just made me go, oh, you can put weed in down in the back and the principal won't find it. And I thought, that's <laughs> total epiphany. Anyway, uh, now, so uh, I don't know if we have any male listeners. I know we're pretty hot with the, uh, the cougars. But um, there's a movie in particular that really spoke to me about the perils of dating hot girls. Um, I don't know if... Uh, if you think Jessica Biel is hot, uh, so hot you drink her bath water, the way Tom feels towards Paul Walker. Uh, 
you might want to consider getting baked and checking out the drama movie London. Have you guys seen that? I've seen the city, but not the movie. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Oh, Damn it. That's what sucks about going after Tom. <laughs> Instead of coming for him. You. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So that movie's about Chris Evans, uh, who's like trying to get over Jessica Biel, whose character's name is London, even though the story takes place in New York. And she's at her most like lush in that movie. And she does have sex, but it's kind of silhouetted, so I don't know if it's really worth it from that. But she's so gorgeous in it, and it's so... Um, it's the movie... Okay, I'll describe the flashback, and then I'll tell you why I like it. There's a ton of flashback scenes like set when they were still together, but the movie's basically about him being hung up on her after they've broken up, and like just going into a total tailspin and just like moping around, being depressed, hanging out with Jason Statham in a bathroom and doing coke... Because you just bummed because you're not banging Jessica Biel anymore. We've all been there. Um, and so one of his flashbacks is from when times were kind of good, but starting to turn, and they're both smoking pot in the bathroom, and he's kind of giving her a foot massage. Wait, I hope, hold on, hold on. I hope this movie's rated R, yeah? Yeah, it's a soft R. Okay, Whew. good. All right, I'm sorry, carry on. They're smoking pot soft in the bathroom. Like- he's giving her a foot massage. Yeah, and so she's all, yeah, man. Soon we're going to have... Okay, basically the point is, the thing that's kind of lame about dating hot girls is that they say a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> and they call during podcasts. But it's not their fault. It's like, it's just that they haven't had to try very hard in life. So in a way, they're kind of gimped. So hot girls tend to not say awesome things as often as you would want them to. It's kind of like when the boss has a good idea. It's like, oh, thank God he has a good idea. We can like actually like it instead of have to pretend three years but anyway, um, so she's all, yeah, soon we're going to have the technology to talk to God. And he's all, what the hell are you talking about? And she's all, what, you don't believe in higher powers? And he's all, uh, no. What? I mean, I, he goes, I need scientific proof of something before I believe in it. I'm kind of that way. It's like when Chris Evans is the smart one in the relationship. You know? <laughs> and she's all, all right, you want proof? I'll give you proof. So it's like a stone hot girl giving you proof of God. And she goes, all right, yeah, so I read this thing online, man, where um, these Japanese people had like a lab and they were they had like a, a transparent bucket of rice. And they were like in one room, they were like totally talking smooth to it and loving it and saying, oh, you're the best rice ever. I totally fuck you, rice, if you won't were any ricier i love you so much rice mm. and then in another room they just yell at the rice and are super mean to it and then in three months the rice that they were nice to was still edible and then and then it shows a japanese dude eating the rice so it's a flashback within a flashback like lost when they were purgatory and uh, and she goes and then in the black rice room it was all gross because they yelled at it and it was all sad rice so they just wrote it down and didn't eat it and he's all what the fuck are you talking about? You're retarded. You're an idiot. We're just talking about rice? What? That proof of nothing. He goes, this is exactly what it's like. I've been with you for two years, and this is probably the most intelligent conversation we've had all this time. Usually it's about makeup. And she goes, you're an asshole. He, she, he goes, you're an idiot. And so she kind of starts hitting him, but then they start having sex, and they have angry sex, and they fuck it out. But she's still mad afterwards, and then he's bummed, and so he's... She, like, leaves angry, and he's like, ugh. And he, he's thinking, yep, I'm not going to be having sex with her much longer. It's too bad. But on the bright side, 
I won't have to listen to or talk about rice anymore. So the moral is <laughs> – so this was the movie that taught me that when seeking a mate, you should always have – the first – the most important trait is their mind, man. you got to have sex with their mind. Kelly Wan, I just want to say that you are value added. <laughs> That's, That's a great follow up. That's a great yeah. follow up to Casablanca. Right, right. Because Jessica Veal sort of our Ingmar Bergman. Uh, I couldn't help Kelly Wan but think of uh, that awesome scene in Greenberg where Greta Gerwig is telling her story <laughs> about picking up a couple of guys at a bar and then stripping and, and how her friend thought it was really funny, even though they really weren't those kind of women. And how Ben still yeah. just gets so fed up with listening to it and, and pretending to be interested. And, and I forget his line, but it's something about that's the stupidest story I've ever heard. And he just gets up and leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he was, it took that, it took exactly that long for him to become disenchanted with her like, within a, two minutes. I got that too stupid. Can't deal with it. Can't have sex with her anymore. I can I can only think of that line. So that's a way. It's a see. London is about a guy who can't get over Jessica Biel, but it's like if you think about it, it's like maybe Justin Timberlake was like she did the rice thing or something. It's like ah. So it's a way to get over hot chicks too, because you just remember that thing she said about rice. You go, yeah, well, on the upside. Well, I think we all have those devices to deal with exes. I think of my ex who uh, loved. Spanglish, by the way. That's it's kind of all I have to do there. Is you think this woman's favorite movie was Spanglish? That that makes it right. a little easier to deal with, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that was probably not even her worst trait, was it? That's just well, I'm thing. sure that in in London, Jessica Biel's worst trait wasn't this stoned rice monologue, but you know, Chris Evans was able to 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 remember that as a way to help get over her. So I hope it worked out for him. Don't spoil the movie for me. I might want to see it. She's single now. I mean, the character in the movie, not... <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, so London, good. So, Dingus, is your number one the name of a city? Because we yeah. would have a trifecta. It would be Casablanca. That was one of your criteria, I believe, was that your number one had to be a city. Wasn't that what you said? Unfortunately not. I wish I would have been on the same page with you guys. Greenberg's a point? small town in Iowa with lawyers in it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, at some point, Dingus, actually at two points, Dingus, you thought I was going to pick this one. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, can you give us a line from it? Well, can you tell uh, me what the two things I thought were going to uh, spoil it? Well, I'm guessing something about a clown. That's all that I remember you responding to is me calling Chris Cooper a clown. And I don't know what. And and I guess the Casablanca. Is it a perfect movie with a clown in it? Right. So it's obviously Shakes the Clown with Bobcat Goldthwait. But I don't remember the Chris uh, Cooper. I don't remember the uh, flashback scene in, in Shakes the Clown. All right. Well, here's a quote from Shakes the Clown that might jog your memory. Okay. Are you guys ready? Ready. Mm. Mm-hmm. Emily was just the same. She was my whole world. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm. Is it that uh, that Kate Winslet thing with Patrick Wilson about all the little children? Oh, what the heck is that called? Little Little City of Lost Children. No, Little Children? Precious Little Children? Precious Children? Precious Little... Precious based on Sapphire. What is that movie, Diggis? Uh, little Children is the name of that movie, but that's not the movie I'm talking about. Shakes the Clown's Children. Say the children line again. Chucky. Kelly Wand is wrong. Say the line again. Just Emily. It. Emily was just the same. She was my whole world. So, perfect movie about someone... Is it is it was that the name of Nicolas Cage's 
granddaughter in Drive Angry 3D? No. Uh, I was thinking of when you said – when you were running up to Casablanca, movies you've described – as movies you consider perfect movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. You know what? Yeah, of course. It's a, flash, it's a music video flashback. But, yeah, that's a flashback. All right. Yeah. Oh, Clerks 2. An AT&T commercial? That's a very good one. I didn't know those were allowed. That's a very good one. Because, yeah, that's one of the three perfect movies that I've mentioned before. Jaws, Toy Casablanca, Story. and the movie you're going to – Toy Story 2. In the Toy movie. Story 2. All right. Uh, take it away. Very good, Dingus. Although, you know what? Is it a flashback if it's a Randy Newman music video? I don't know. You, you'll have to convince us. Take it away. It is if the Randy Newman music video is sung by Sarah McLachlan. Ah. Uh, <gasps> good call. Wow, Einstein, Einstein proved that in 51, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when Casablanca was released, I think. Yeah. Was it really a Randy Newman song, though? Because I would love to think now that it was written by Sarah McLaughlin. Is that right? No, it was, it's absolutely his song, and thankfully they let her sing it. All right. Well, tell us about the scene and why it's your number one. Uh, all right. This is Jessie telling the story of her life with Emily. And this is, um, uh, this is Toy Story 2, directed by John Lasseter. Um, and the story is told as a musical memory. Basically, Woody is, is about to leave... Uh, these toys to go back to Andy and Jesse is up at the windowsill pouting. <laughs> um, and so he goes to her to find out what's wrong with her. And she says, she taught, she starts to tell the story of Emily, but she doesn't tell the story. It's not a monologue. It's a music video. As, as you have just said, uh, it's a musical memory, basically. Yeah. Me, and, I like that better. Cause music video sort of, denigrates it and it definitely doesn't deserve being denigrated so musical memory is very well put so go ahead it's a musical memory yep right so so one of the things i was looking for is that is how how this flashback needs to be a flashback instead of somebody giving a monologue and we definitely could have heard joan cusack giving this monologue i guess um she does a really good job in this performance she's subdued she does a fine job uh and i love jesse as a character but the idea of just seeing her go through this, knowing her voice in our heads, and having this beautiful, just unbelievably beautiful song, uh, which is called Somebody Loved Me, um, as, the, as the images tell the story of her as a doll with Emily, and then getting forgotten, and then passed on. And uh, I love this – I love this way of telling the story – of this particular character because uh, and this is another thing that you know tom when you were talking about a clown this made me nervous again because jesse's kind of a goofy goofy yeah. clown and then we finally get this moment of emotional grounding with her and we really get to t- get to be part of her world it's just it's just such a beautiful thing and and, and again one of one of the things i was going for is that it's not a long that that this this could have been uh, – the film would have suffered had this been a monologue. This, this moment of this, this musical memory um, where we're treated to a story where she's clearly talking to Woody, but we're hearing something different and seeing the, a mini-movie, basically, of her story uh, is one of my favorite flashbacks in what might be deemed by many people a perfect movie. And, and it, it also lays groundwork for decisions that that character will make shortly thereafter. Right. Uh, it's an important bit of uh, of groundwork uh, about who she is and why she's going to do what she's about to do. Yep. 
Now you don't you wouldn't call it a perfect movie, Dingus? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? With no, I, I would, but okay. but I don't want to get into a discussion of the movie that came after because then we'll get whacked. <laughs> that movie. It's not also perfect. not a movie because it's got documentary overtones. So. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and it's got fake physical bits in the animation. Uh, that's very good. Why didn't I think of that? I guess because it's a cartoon. But no, of course that's a yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one, Dingus. It's no London, but it's a great one. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, let's do runners up. What what did you guys? I, I I I this one's kind of a gimmick, but I love the bit at the end of the Machinist when you have a yeah. flashback to Christian Bale where he's not that gaunt. You know, where you see him in full weight, and it's just the, the visual shock of that. I mean, it's a cool reveal, too, about the, the events of the movie, but just the visual shock of flashing back to before he'd lost all that weight it has a lot of mm-hmm. impact, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, the surprise reveal is that he's not. He looks normal. Right. It's like <laughs> this that guy been, Yeah, this 80-pound dude you've been looking at for the course of the movie, and then, oh, look, he's a... Yeah, you've gotten used to his hideous wretchedness, and yeah. it's like... Oh, look, it's Christian. I like those end of movie flashbacks that that where the character is like ah, and one of those that I thought of was frailty, and I don't want to I don't want to say too much about it. There's sort of that flashback of oh, that's what happened. Frailty. That's the thing with uh, Hudson uh, with Bill Paxton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. Now I need to I remember what the reveal is at the end. It's Where also you- the the flashbacks are misdirection too. Spoiler alert. Right. Yeah. Oh well, remember. Okay, right. I think I know who the narrator is. Right. Well, it's it's sort uh, of where the movie chooses to reveal to us what the truth of the movie right. is. Very much like the Machinist. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so go ahead. Why don't you bring up uh, the bit in Last Crusade where River Phoenix plays Indy? Who, who's going to uh, bring that up? Uh, that that seemed kind of a shark jump ruin thing. Because it didn't make any sense. I didn't understand who the fuck that guy was. I have a better one, but go on. Go ahead, Kelly. Let's hear your better one. My better one is um, the Saturday Night Fever one from Airplane, because to this day, <laughs> I actually, I swear, I prefer that version of Staying Alive with like those little sound effects. It's totally How can better. you choose that over From Here to Eternity? Yeah. <laughs> What's that movie from? Is that the Clint Eastwood, Matt Damon thing? No, they get the seaweed all over them. Come on. Is the airplane from here to eternity. Flight. Where they're making out in the surf. I've never even seen from here to eternity, and I know what that's from. <laughs> that one's funny, but it's not. It's just one quick gag. I mean, it's just jellyfish on a shot. That's not that's as exciting. Seaweed. As, uh, that's <laughs> not as funny gag. as... What are you talking about? As a wharf bar turning into a disco in one shot, and a guy gets a knife in the back, and she's... It's just so <laughs> that's Actually, that is funny. Gesturing at the knife. That is a good point. <laughs> Like, the mood, they have a totally different scene going on. Like, oh, this, this is, like, the toughest bar in the world. And then it's a disco club. Like, Kelly Wan, I can't believe that wasn't your number one. What's the matter with you? It was, it was. And then that's, I started that's the best just, one you've come up with. <laughs> I love it. But there's so many different awesome flashbacks in airplanes. Like, is that the best one? Good point. Probably. Yeah. Thing is, what runners-up did you have? Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about butterfly effect, but I was afraid to. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no. No, I will not brook any Ashton Kutcher talk on this podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, no time fine. travel, fucking Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the movie I really, that was really vying was uh, was Blue Valentine, but it's, it's really hard to untangle 
what's a flashback in the movie because how of it because of the structure of the movie. Yeah. But, the, but yeah. there's this um, this this great moment where um, where they're both in the in the nursing home and looking across the hall, but you don't realize it until the flashback resolves it. Mm-hmm. it yes. When when he says, you know, I, I've got a job, just so you know, you know, so I can take girls out, uh, is a great flashback, but it, it doesn't really work because of the way the movie is structured, which is perfectly structured, but I, I, you know, it doesn't really qualify as a flashback. Yeah, they are. It is sort of a an integral narrative. It's like part of this how that story gets told is the past tangled with the present and uh it's not a simple flashback but yeah they're just the when their eyes first meet and you don't realize that that's what you're seeing their eyes first meeting the fact that that's a reveal i love that about that flashback exactly Uh, exactly that exact moment yeah and him Uh, on the truck too like talking to his buddy god that movie's so good Ugh. when can we see that again when is that on dvd which one sorcerer Wendy and Lucy, Kelly, have you seen that? Go ahead. Uh, I've seen one of them. <laughs> there's some uh, there's some funny flashbacks in MacGruber too, so don't miss it. All right, good to know. I don't want to spoil it. The movie's funny. Do you have any other uh, runners up, Tom? No, let's see. Uh, Nothing from Reservoir Dogs. That's no fair. It's that's that's. I, yeah. I don't think. I don't. If it's in a Quentin Tarantino mo- movie, I don't think you can call it a simple flashback. It's just fractured timeline. Yeah. yeah. Totally different concept. And Tom's a real stickler for details and. Take <laughs> <laughs> physical bits. Yes. Yeah. Documentary. Uh, yeah. Hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely an R rating for. Uh, win win. Oh yeah. Oh, Kelly, you went. You went. You gross. But the moment in Casablanca. Where you first see Rick, he's puzzling, he's sitting at a chessboard dealing with a chess problem, and Peter Laurie comes over to talk to him, and this is where a major plot point gets introduced, and you find out Peter Laurie has these transit papers, you know, the MacGuffin, and while Peter Laurie is talking, Humphrey Bogart's hand moves from the bishop to the king. Ah. Suck it, Kelly Wand. Wow, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know much about sports. So I was only going you gross because you said he was fingering them, and I he was. That's not what he was. He was fingering the king like you would finger Paul Walker. You were so, oh my god! One, was, two, three. I know. You know what? This was a classy podcast about a Sundance movie, and now it's devolved into. No kidding. Oh, Kelly Wand. I bring. Yeah. <laughs> All right, who's doing it? Tom, are you in charge of next week's 3x3? All right, you guys, here's next week's 3x3. Yeah, so uh, this was actually somewhat inspired by some of Dane. Well, you know what? This We've all had good choices. This one was inspired by uh, basically me watching a bunch of cheesy, almost universally horrible horror movies. I love horrible. horror movies. Uh, I like horror movies almost as background noise when I'm working or something. I, mm-hmm. I work a lot at, at my dining room table, and I've got two laptops, so I'll just put a crappy horror movie on one of the laptops, like like you would put on talk radio while I'm writing or whatever on the other laptop. And and one of the things that strikes me, there's there's an art that is entirely lost in horror movies, and that's the use of blood. <laughs> um, uh, I agree. Yeah, like like blood now, it's just something that they just splash out there. There's no yeah. using it economically. Uh, you know, very few people understand that blood is more, you know, blood is just something you splash out there because, you know, ew, gross, 
blood. They've made it CG so they can take it out. To That's another thing. Your 11 MPAA. You know what? You, I think somewhere. you're right, Kelly Wan. In the remake of The Mechanic, which had some pretty cool R-rated action, digital blood. You know, it's all fake. Uh, and, and and you're right. They could take it out and I guess maybe reduce the rating. But uh, like digital blood looks terrible to me. I can totally spot that yeah. off. Uh, so the the art of using blood has, has failed. And I just want to put one thing out there that I'm going to take off the table. And I, we all know this. You know, when Janet Lee gets killed in Psycho, it, it's, it's a famous scene. But there's the discrete use of blood as this discolored liquid going down the drain. And, you know, that... That back and you know what that was? I don't. What? It was cho- Hershey's chocolate syrup. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, that's where you were going with that. Yeah. Well, well. so what I want from you guys are the three best uses of blood lately. And if you want it to lately. be... Well, not lately. Just overall. I'm, I'm Never. I'm taking Psycho off the table. Because uh, that's another thing. You know, in Casablanca, when people get shot in the back, they just go, Ugh, and there's no... There's no wound or anything. There's no blood squib. Um, so over time, I guess filmmakers started being able to use blood. I'm only taking Psycho off the table because that's a, a famously discreet use of it. So I want from you your fa- three favorite uses of blood. Um, uh, can I just say something? Blood makes an awesome lubricant. No, Kelly Wan, you can't say anything. I'm sorry. Oh, because it's not a movie. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there you go. There's that. We will do that next week. Any questions, Kelly Wan? None from you. You've had your say. About three best uses of blood. Boom. <laughs> I do have one question, sir. Does this have to be non-faked blood? Uh, is it have to be physical care, blood? Do you or? care if it's digital? Mm. No, it can be fake blood. I, I thought you were. What if- me about the obi-wan thing again no no i know i mean i i mean there's there's a very clear you you kind of alluded to this there's very clear when it's digital and when and when it's well you know what if you think that it's a good use of blood obviously like blood squibs are not real blood Uh, actually i don't know maybe they're they are but uh no it does not have to be real blood it does not have to be an analog effect it can be a digital effect if you want it to be an animated movie that's fine it's just it's blood as is presented in the movie uh okay good what about the Kelly wants hold that thought stuff and aliens that or alien that comes out of the android hold that That's thought it. I you know what you game it however you like because oil is robot blood so oil too I look forward to hearing <laughs> which which of your slots you use for the Transformers movie where it pees out oil that's that's that'll be great Malvert P Red in student bodies uh, all right so let's see Sucker Punch next week too what do you guys think of that. Well, what else is there? Limitless? Are, are we all Zack Snyder? Are any of us Zack Snyder apologists? I liked Watchmen, but I hated 300. I'm that one dude. Who Where do you stand on the Dawn of the Dead remake? Uh, I like the opening. I think it's one of the greatest openings ever. And then it kind of... It's a great opening. Think it's pretty stand on, how do you feel about your Zack Snyder? Uh, I really liked him. And Kelly talked a lot about him in that, that one movie he was talking about. In his three by three, I think Scary Movie three. He kept talking about Zack Snyder this, <laughs> Zack Snyder that. So yeah, yeah. that's cool. Now, now Dingus, a Zack Penn like you pretending oh. you know who Zack Penn doesn't work when racist, you, especially when you've seen Incident at Loch Ness. I know you know better, and you probably even like Last Action Hero. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think of it as a minor Shane Black. 
<laughs> very nice. Uh, very uh, nice. See what uh, did right. there? So there you go. That'll be our 3x3 three three next week. Best uses of blood. We will be seeing Sucker Punch. I am uh, Tom Chick, and I have been joined by Christian... M- oh, God. What? M- Mutansky, I think? Jeez, how do you... Christian Mutansky. M- Christian M- Murawski. That's that's what I said. Horrible. Uh, and also Kelly Wand. If Paul Walker didn't exist, Tom would have had to invent him. Flip on the telly. Wrestle with Jimmy. Something is bubbling. This podcast was a fucking disaster. If you'd like to give money to disaster relief, write your local congressperson and ask why you should help make a difference, or at least a different choice, listening-wise.